Nebraska Public Media Sports brings you Nebraska Baseball. Catch our live coverage as the Huskers meet the Indiana Hoosiers on the Diamond at Hawks Field at Haymarket Park in Lincoln. Watch Friday, May 10th at 6 p.m. Central on Nebraska Public Media. Welcome to Hurt at Sports Radio. What I've loved about Dylan is, is he uh, loves football. He loves to talk football. He's unbelievably kind. You watch him at the basketball game the other day. He's taking pictures with kids and, and not in a selfish way, but in a caring way. Um, it's the same intangibles I see with a lot of the guys that we have. You know, we want to recruit really good people who love football. This is not a, hey, what's in it for me type place. Uh, you've got to come here wanting to be great at football, wanting to be great in the community, and wanting to be great in school. And uh, your parents have to want that. You have to want that. I see all that from Dylan. And, and um, you know, I'm, again, it's to me, it's just the beginning of a journey. This is not the end. This is the very, very, very beginning. And that's really, you know, kind of my message to all the players is this is not a culmination. This is the start of something. So just take it day by day. Good morning. Welcome in to Herd Out Sports Radio. I'm Ravi Lula. Andrew Rogers here with me. What's going on, everybody? What's going on, man? It is a Thursday morning. I'm not. I'm not gonna lie to you. I'm gonna be straight up. I try to be uh, straight up with you guys as much as possible. I'm dragging ass a little bit this morning. <laughs> yeah. I'm, it was. Uh, well, it was a late night. For it you. was that uh, that overtime Creighton game. Listen, I know nobody cares about about uh, the struggles of being, you know, quote-unquote, of being a morning show host. Those 8 o'clock tip-offs that go long, that's a tough, that's a tough turnaround tough for me. Tough hang for Ravi Lula. It is. It's a tough turnaround for Although, me. Although, 8 o'clock is your dinner time, so it how is. actually late is 11 o'clock to you? Um, so usually I am in bed before that. Um, <laughs> 11 o'clock is your 7. Uh, I'm definitely <laughs> home before 11 or 11.30 as it was last night. Uh, we will get into the Creighton game. Their loss to Villanova for sure. Uh, we've got a terrific show for you here on AM 590 ESPN Omaha, ESPN Tri-Cities. Of course, as always, you can join us on Twitter, YouTube, and Facebook. But today, it's the day after signing day. Uh, we have uh, a lot of Matt Rule audio. He said some really interesting stuff. I actually thought his press conference was a little shorter than I was expecting. It was just a brief 36 minutes. It wasn't, I thought he might go a full hour talking about guys, but no, just a nice little 36-minute or for uh Coach Rule, it seemed like he maybe missed talking to the media well, the, a little the bit. The opening segment was seven minutes. That's true, yeah. His opening <laughs> statement was uh, was extensive for I, sure. I said segment, yeah, statement. I'm too much of a radio. <laughs> I'll say you got – I say <laughs> we say the opening segment way too many times. <laughs> opening statement. Opening statement for Matt Rule. Uh, so we'll get to some of that audio. Uh, of course, we will also get to Mitch Sherman. He's joining us at 8 o'clock from The Athletic. It's Thursday. Which means we got to talk to our guy, B. Edwards, Brian Edwards, our Vegas insider. See if we can make a little money this weekend. And our third and final guest of the day will be Michael Brunson, Husker 24 uh, 7. We love talking to Brunson. So that will, those will be our guests for today. And you know, I have a curveball for you today, Robbie. Uh-oh. Each guest that we have on. Uh oh. I have a Christmas question for him to end the interview. I love it. I love to hear it. Uh, heard at. Hot seat as well will be today, so got a jam-packed show for you. Of course, always room for our beloved listeners on the show as well on the War Horse Sportsbook Hotline, 888-638-4876, or 
We've already got some. We've got a lot of Andrews popping off in the chat already. Not only do we have an Andrew, we have a Roger. <laughs> like this is great. Yeah, this we've got an Andrew and I'm a Roger over and here. an Andrew Rogers. You don't get a lot of duplicate Ravis in the chat. No, not a, not, not too many. Not quite. You know what? I got to tell you, man, you're the one and only that I know. <laughs> if um, if we were streaming in in Mumbai, maybe, but um, <laughs> which technically we could be. We had yeah. we had a listener in the Philippines. Is yesterday. Ravi as common as John in Mumbai? Uh, not quite. Rogers. Okay. Rogers, like your sense. super common name. Ravi's common, but it's more like. Uh, Is it more of like a Nick? <sighs> I, I'm Is trying more to of a Chris. Think, no, that's too common still. I, I would say. An Alex? Yeah, maybe like an Alexander or a okay. Jacob. Like it's not it's not a weird name, but it's, it's not as common as like a Joe or a John or an Andrew. Apparently, well, you calling me, call me calling me basic? I'm just no, I'm calling you common. There's <laughs> like the rapper. Kenny. Oh, <laughs> all right, good save, good save. Uh, that is what we've got on tap for you here today. Uh, but we got some really interesting stuff yesterday about uh, about the recruiting class. But before we dive into that. There are some things, and I kind of wanted to lead off with this, with the quarterback room. Mm -hmm. Because, obviously, some really great news with Dylan Rayola signing, with Danny Kalen signing, um, even as... Provided depth. Yeah, even as... uh, I think critical is probably the right word that I've been of Danny Kalen throughout his high school senior year. I do think that is an important signing for Nebraska um, to get him into the class. And so that was really great. On the other side of things, last night we figure we find out yesterday evening, I guess it was confirmed last night. Chubba Purdy going into the transfer portal, and it also sounds like what seemed like a sure thing done deal yesterday. How things change within the minds of eighteen to, I guess, in Casey Thompson's twenty-five year olds, twenty-nine year old. I don't know how old he is. Uh, he's he's on the Chris Wanky plan at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, seems like. Uh, seems like Casey Thompson will not be joining the team now um, from the latest that I'm hearing. Uh, it, I'm not totally sure what changed. You're completely bought in on that? I was yesterday. Well, I was bought in yesterday that he was going to be there. Um, what I'm hearing today and last night was that doesn't seem like it's going to happen. So the reason I'm, I, I may push back on this okay, yeah, absolutely. is when Dylan Rayola committed, mm-hmm. He, uh, days before he committed, he tweeted a photo of purpose out, the uh-huh. definition of purpose. And then last night, Casey Thompson adds that same exact photo to his Instagram story. Yeah. Now, I'm not going to say that I am a mind reader and that <laughs> they mean the exact same thing even. Yeah. But uh, I thought it would, I thought it, would, it, it could be the ultimate troll if Casey Thompson tweeted that. Or, or, or posted that on his Instagram page and wasn't using it in the sense of Nebraska like Dylan Rayola was. Sure. And using it the other way. Like, does that make sense? Like, Casey Thompson doesn't seem like that type right. of guy. Like, I don't think he was trolling, really, yeah. which is kind of how that would come it, off. It would come off if he's like, no, I'm completely. Now, out. I will say it wouldn't surprise me if he still was coming on staff as a, like, grad assistant mm, or quarterback analyst. Coach. I don't think it's the quarterback's coach. I'm pretty sure that's still going to be Glenn Thomas. Uh, but I, it doesn't seem like he's going to play this year, at least not for Nebraska. Well, so that's okay. Um, and I didn't think he was going to play this year well, anyway. Not like play, play, but I – Like you don't think he's going to be on the roster. Yes, I don't think he's going to be on the active roster this year, which is the way it was heading. 
it wouldn't surprise me if he still is involved in some capacity. And you know that that that's a good point and and something to keep an eye on. Um, I, because the whole t- look. Let's let's be completely honest. Mm-hmm. Dylan Rayola starting. He yeah. is he's your starting quarterback. Yeah, absolutely. Even though Chubba Purdy is gone, mm-hmm. it, he, he I'm was, not I'm not overly worried about the room because you can still add a few pieces that you need to provide depth. Yeah, absolutely. You can get the guys in there that are okay with being uh, competitors in practice, and you know, uh, if God forbid you see a s- similar situation as you saw this year, maybe find the field. But Dylan Rayola is going to be your quarterback. So even if Casey Thompson were in the room, he wasn't going to be the quarterback. Right, and I think that is. I think that's why I liked Casey Thompson as an option for depth because he does have experience actually playing high-level college football, but I don't think there would have been an expectation on his part to play to actually like compete for a starting job. Now maybe that's where the disconnect came in is maybe he still did want to compete, and it's like, hey, like, bud, we, we kind of just want you here as a mentor. Uh, but there are options out in the transfer portal still if Nebraska wants to bring in a guy – that is more of a depth piece. There's some guys from the FCS level that are in there that maybe want a chance to prove themselves. Hey, look, I still like a little Matthew Sluka action. You do love Matthew Sluka. You've been on that train the whole time, which I got to give you credit for. Um, you know, there's also there's some random guys that maybe have, you know, like Matthew Sluka, as, as you mentioned. He's a senior, so he'd be more of a sort of stopgap, just emergency you wonder if he maybe wants a chance to play but you've got a guy like and I don't know anything about this guy except for what he was coming out of high school uh Sam Jackson from Cal he's a redshirt sophomore or was a redshirt sophomore this year so that kind of would maybe fit coach rules multiple year type guy and say hey like he could come in and and compete for a starting job there uh Bryson Barnes from Utah is another example of a guy that would kind of fit that mold as well, so you've got uh, a, there's a there's a Chandler Morris from TCU. There's a bunch of guys that are probably not going to be in line for starting jobs at at any Power Five school. Maybe not at a very many Group of Five schools, and especially at this rate. Yes, because you you see how quarterbacks have flown off the board, mm-hmm. the, especially the top, names. the high end guys. Yeah. So when you get down into the weeds of the transfer portal quarterback slate. Mm-hmm. These guys are going to have to have a come-to-Jesus moment at some point of, okay, maybe my dream of being the starting quarterback at a Power 5 school. Let's call it, for example, yeah. Purdue, sure. right? My dream of playing college football at a Power 5 school like a Purdue, a smaller end, big, uh, a major conference, but on the, on the bottom of the, of the chart, mm-hmm. it's not in the cards for me. But what could be is me competing at a school like Nebraska. When you have a head coach like Coach Rule that says it's an open competition across the map. For everybody. Across the map. That's one of the things he said yesterday because somebody asked, you know, um, I think it was – I can't remember his name now. But it was somebody asked uh, if – Dylan Rayola was going to get an opportunity to compete right away. And Coach Rule kind of looked at him and goes, everybody gets to compete right away. Like, everybody gets that opportunity. Now, it's obviously more realistic for Dylan Rayola to win a job. But look at what we saw from him last year, right? Mikhail Bayer ended up starting some games, playing a ton of football. You had guys that were not scholarship guys even 
and guys that were buried on the depth chart that maybe were scholarship guys end up playing real serious roles for this Nebraska team. So when he says everybody's open to competition, I believe him because that's what we saw last year. Ravi, can you imagine if Coach Rule stood up there and said, no, actually, DR doesn't have a chance to play this <laughs> yeah, year. Like, like, no. What is he supposed to say? In we're like, we're going to redshirt him. asking? We're going to redshirt yeah, him. I'm not talking about that today with all due respect. Like, uh. <laughs> Guys, Dylan Rayola is the top recruit in the nation at the quarterback position. Yeah. Like, he may go one – like, they may have a little rock'em, sock'em, robots or two, battle depending on with, with the kid that went to Alabama. But Dylan Rayola is the best thing to come to Nebraska since, like, 2005, 2008 mm-hmm. in terms of prospect. Yeah. Okay, I can't remember. When did Marlon Lucky come for? So Marlon Lucky was, I believe, class of 06, and then Baker Steincooler was also a five-star. He was 08, so both of those Okay, so I was was around the neighborhood for for both of them. Dylan Rayola is playing next year. Like, that's it. There is nothing in the room right now that is preventing Dylan Rayola from taking the first snap against UTEP. Yeah, nothing at all. There's, There's, I think there will be another quarterback added to the room. It might be like a, a guy that got kind of name-dropped early because he had the connection to Rule back at Baylor because much like Casey Thompson, he's been in college forever. Uh, Jerry Bohannon is one. He's coming from South Florida. That would make sense a lot in that kind of Casey Thompson, like mentor, you're probably not going to play unless something bad happens, like somebody gets injured, whatever, knock on wood, we hope that doesn't happen. But like, hey, you're kind of there for depth and experience and maybe you want to be a coach someday. Mm-hmm. That would be that. And then, like I said, there's – I mean, you wouldn't believe how many former four-stars are in here as, like, redshirt sophomores that just never got a chance. And now they have kind of nowhere to go and not a ton of interest. I mean, I'm looking at a guy from Auburn right now. I don't know anything about him. Robbie Ashford from Hoover, Alabama. From Robbie? Robbie. Oh. Uh, with double B and a Y. But the he's from Hoover, Alabama. He's a redshirt sophomore. Was a four-star coming out of high school. Like, there's a bunch of Robbie Ashford, Ashfords in the transfer portal still. And those are the kind of guys that a lot of time ends up dropping down to an FCS level mm-hmm. or dropping down to a group of five level. And instead of doing that, maybe be like, hey, like, come provide some depth at Nebraska. And there's depth everywhere. Yeah, there's a ton of options here. So I know people are sort of freaking out about – Freaking out's probably too aggressive, but a little concerned about the depth in the room. No, but I think you're right by saying, like, concern to freaking out is more where people yeah, are leaning about this Chubba Purdy transfer portal which I ad. don't totally get, nor do I, because Chubba Purdy wasn't going to be the guy this year. He no. was just going to be a depth piece, but there are so many other bodies out there, and this staff is so good about finding yes. the next guy and also the right guy. So there, there shouldn't be any concern at this point. You know how far away we are from football season? Also, People the, are begging right now to get into August so we can see Dylan Rayola right? play. Well, and here's the other thing, right, is you've got – I know people don't love this, but Heinrich Harburg did start a bunch of games this year. And even if he's not in the room – Fully, yeah. He still is an option on this team. A depth as an emergency quarterback. You've got, by the way, another Elite 11 quarterback in your recruiting class to provide depth there too. Like, I I don't know that people appreciate how big of an ask it is to go out and get – because I know people are like, oh, well, they should have got Kyle McCord too or they should have gotten whatever, X, Y, Z, whoever it was. Maybe not as high-profile a guy as McCord once Rayola got into the fold. But I've heard a ton of people ask, well, why don't you go get somebody that's, you know, maybe can compete and start, you know, compete for depth or compete for the job and add depth and whatever. You've got two 
true freshman elite 11 quarterbacks in that room. How many older guys, which is why I understand why Chubba left, how many older guys are signing up for like, yeah, I'm probably never going to play here? Mm-hmm. That's what you're looking at. If you're from the outside looking in, I know we all have different feelings about Danny Kalen and what his timeline is in terms of being ready to play college football. I think it's probably a couple years of development to be ready, but you look at it from the outside, you're like, oh, they just signed two Elite 11 guys that I'm uh, that are true freshmen. I, I'm probably not playing here ever. That One of those guys is probably not playing here either. Like, one of those guys probably ends up transferring. Why would I add my name to the mix when this is my one transfer, right? Mm-hmm. It, it, it doesn't make a ton of sense if you're an outside guy that wants a – chance to compete and still think you have a chance at the NFL or a high level or whatever at that. That's why we're talking about a guy like a Matthew Sluka who probably doesn't have NFL upside, but maybe wants to be part of a, a Power 5 program. It, unless you bring in Cam Ward, unless you bring in DJU, yeah. Dylan Rayola is your guy next year. Yeah. End of story. And that's okay. And it's then, better than okay. And then you have conversations with some of these guys in the portal, whether they come from the FCS level or they were at the FBS level and just want a change of scene. Yeah, and their backup roles or whatever, yeah. You have the conversation with, hey, every day in practice, mm-hmm. you compete. Yeah. Because you don't know if we're going to go to you, say, Dylan Rayola's struggling. Like, if Dylan Rayola is the starting quarterback next season and he starts to struggle, it could be you. Or, you know, Dylan Rayola banged up a little bit. It could be you. Like, you always have to be ready. There will be people that you can fill up in this room that Absolutely. are cool with that role. Absolutely. That are, because they saw what happened in Nebraska this year. They know how much uh, or how the Big Ten Conference operates. It's a bruising industry. It's a bruising conference to play in. When you're the starting quarterback in yeah. the Big Ten, you take shots. Well, it's not like Nebraska's an outlier, right? I mean, look at what happened to Florida State's season, right? Florida State not had a better quarterback situation than Nebraska, obviously, with Jordan Travis. Then he gets injured. You've got Tate Rodemaker, who played respectably. He gets banged up. He has a concussion. And now you're on a third stringer now, for the ACC championship. Yeah, now you have a true freshman third stringer in the ACC championship game that he won, by the way. Like, you, he came in in a really tough spot and was able to win. This is not unique to Nebraska across college football. You generally need multiple quarterbacks to make it through the season, which is I get why people are nervous about what the quarterback room looks like, but it's also why I think there's going to be opportunities for guys to come in. Now, it might not be until spring. Mm-hmm. I, I, wouldn't, I would maybe not expect anything until spring when guys figure out where they're on depth charts and things like that at other places, right? because you're going to have more opportunities. But I don't think it's crazy to think that they're, they're going to get somebody on the transfer portal. I would bet it's a multi-year guy, probably. I would, unless it's like a Jerry Bohannon or somebody like that, where it's like, hey, they're on the really older end, and they're just kind of trying to transition into coaching like we thought the situation with Casey Thompson might be. But this isn't a situation where nobody's going to want to come and play here, because we heard Matt Rule talk about it yesterday, right? People don't want to leave here. That makes people want to come play here, right? He talked a bunch yesterday about how the players are his best recruiters. Mm-hmm. Because how Coach Osborne yeah. is his best recruiter. But like the, the players specifically, 
And and we can get because he shot he shouted out a ton of people yesterday, oh, right? He shouted out at least ten. He probably made uh, uh, one portion of this team, either an offense or defense, with <laughs> he, how many players he, he shouted. Probably out. did. He probably named a, a top eleven, a two deep, maybe even. Uh, but he was talking about how the players, because nobody knows what it's actually like in a program better than the players. And if you're running a program the right way, then those players become your best recruiters because all of a sudden you have not just – and Coach Rules talked about it. He talked about this on the, the Pat McAfee show. He goes, you, you can't really do a sales job on these guys anymore, right, because they can leave, because they do have this opportunity to uh, transfer one time without penalty, because you do have social media and cameras mm-hmm. and stuff all over the place where they can see what it's really like. And then – you've got these other guys that they're on their visits with uh, that are hosting them on their visits or whatever, and they tell you what, the, what it's actually like there. Like, I know for a fact that Dylan was texting guys before he actually got on campus when he was kind of reengaging with Nebraska. He was texting with current recruits, and he was texting with current players to see what it's really like because he's like, yeah, I, I like Coach Rule. I like what he's talking about. My heart feels like it's in Nebraska, but what's it actually like there? And obviously the return that he got was like, yeah, this is the place you want to be. And you see it with guys like Ty Robinson that are coming back for six years and stuff like that where this is a place people don't want to leave, which means it's also a place that people are going to want to come. You can be a salesman. You just can't be a sleazy yeah, used car salesman. <laughs> yeah. Like, Coach Rule's a salesman sure. in a lot of ways. All coaches are by nature. Think about, yeah. like, that phone call he had with Dylan Rayola. He, said, he sat down and he was just completely honest and transparent and said – Make sure this is right for you. Mm-hmm. Make sure this decision is really what you want. We are s- thrilled to have you. That you're interested, a- yeah. As a part of this program, but make sure it's best for you. That's how he approached that phone call. Now, on, on another end of, of that stick, I'm like, well, did you actually, like, really do that? Or did you, like, mute the phone when he said, like, <laughs> hey, I want to come to Nebraska. And you, like, jumped up and down in your office. I say. Maybe maybe screamed out, if, if we die, we die. Like, so, something like that. Um, like, that, that seems uh, a Ethan. little more... <laughs> down the right alley for that phone call but maybe coach rule was professional the whole time and uh you know never really considered the the idea of of hitting that mute button i imagine one of those situations where he you know he kind of gets his spiel out and he goes you know hey dylan like make sure this is the right place for you make sure you're serious about this all this stuff and then as soon as they hang up the phone, you get the explosion. You get the, you get the <laughs> celebration. It's like those movies where as soon as you hang up the sales call and you nail it, you just lose your mind and everybody's celebrating. Uh, I, I could imagine something like that happening with the coach rule situation. Uh, but, no, I mean, that's the, that's the best thing you can say about coach rule. And we heard it yesterday from Caleb Benning. We heard it yesterday from Carter Nelson. We heard it yesterday – with Coach Rule, the way he was describing how he talked to players, and it backs up. You know, one of the things that that Caleb said to us yesterday is his actions back up his words. Right? Mm-hmm. We heard, we saw his actions the way all the recruits and players talked about him. We heard his words during the press conference of, "Hey, I want to make sure this is the right place for you." Right? How many guys in the country, when a five star calls them out of the blue? And says, hey, by the way. Your my, first five-star in like 15, 20 years. My heart's at Nebraska. How many, how many coaches are like, hey, pump the brakes for a second here. 
are you sure this is the right place for you? Like, how many coaches in the world have, like, have the presence and the stones to hey, say that? It's kind of like, you know, when you got in trouble as a kid. If your mom yelled at you, you didn't really feel that bad because you're like, yeah, I probably deserve that. But when she said, I'm disappointed <laughs> in you, that hit harder. It's kind of like this with a coach. When he's there for you, it hits you harder. Coming up next, we will get more into Coach Rule's comments on signing day here on Herd at Sports Radio. You're listening to Hurt at Sports Radio. One of the crown jewels, one of the key recruiters for us is the city of Lincoln. I think when people come here, they're blown away. And so when we can put them at the Kindler Hotel, when we can show them the Scarlet Hotel, when we can take them to eat at JTK or Casa Bovina or all the different places that we utilize, um, to me it just it makes, it makes coming to Nebraska that much, that much more real, and so I'm grateful. Um, our fans, you know, our, as we all know, our fan base is second to none. And it's something that I think our, our families, um, they feel. It, it's hard to send your kid from Florida uh, to Nebraska. It's hard to send your kid from all across the country. And one of the, the major questions I get is, Coach, how, how's my son going to be treated here? Welcome back to Herd at Sports Radio here on AM 590 ESPN Omaha, ESPN Tri-Cities. We are live on Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, all the places. I'm Robbie Lula. Uh, Andrew Rogers here with me as well. Hey, and man. And we are talking signing day. We are talking about Coach Rule and his process. We heard him there. Uh, he gave a lot of credit to a lot of different people. Um and you know, I, I appreciate that. I appreciate that he recognizes how extensive of an effort it is to get people to get recruits on campus, just even before they ever sign, right? To see the state, to it, see the city, and and it <laughs> having coached at, at a small school where either the head coaches kind of have to do everything, or it's like the head coach and maybe one other person doing everything in terms of like travel itineraries and stuff like that like that's stuff that doesn't have to cross coach rules desk <laughs> and it is a it's a lot so those people deserve a ton of credit because it is like uh organizing and and getting all that together is a is a pretty huge deal um on the on the youtube uh chat travis was asking about there were a couple guys that I'm just being annoying in the YouTube chat. That's fine. <laughs> uh, there were a couple guys that, uh, you know, they were kind of making late pushes on five-star guys. Like Ryan Wingo ends up t- signing at Texas. Um, there's a five-star. Brandon Baker. Brandon Baker. Who I, did he end up signing yesterday? I, I'm not sure that he did. Um, I can do some digging here. Yeah, do a little digging there for me. But the I do agree that why uh, Texas. He ended up going to Texas as well. Five-star signs with Texas 22 hours ago. So – I do agree that there needs to be some additions in the wide receiver room for depth and for experience there. I really like the young guys. I like um, I like Malachi Coleman and Jalen Lloyd and Jaden Doss. Um, I, I I think they're planning on having Isaiah, Isaiah Garcia Casanatas back as well. Um, we'll see how he is coming off of an injury. That'll be an interesting uh, development for sure. But, you know, he also, but Travis also brought up the, the offensive line room, and I actually feel okay there. 
Um, if you look at the – I mean, first of all, Nebraska brought in a bunch of guys on the offensive line. Um, some of their highest-rated recruits, whether it's Grant Bricks, uh, whether it's Preston Talmua. Um, you've also obviously got um, the Ruggeroli kid from, from Las Vegas. You've got uh, Gibson Pyle. You've got a bunch of offensive linemen in this class to go on top of and I forgot a couple of guys, Jake Peters, Landon Davidson as well, uh, to go on top of the young guys you brought in last year, your Sam Sledge, your Gunnar Gatula, your uh, Brock Knudsen, your Mason Goldman, your Justin Evans Jenkins. That's five guys right there. I think I named at least six more out of this class. Not to mention you still have guys coming back in Teddy Prohaska. You've got uh, Ben Scott's coming back. Um, they're not sure. He said he's not sure about Ethan Piper yet. Mm-hmm. And, and you know that that one's an interesting, uh, like an interesting comment because he said Piper, he could play or he'll be a coach for us. Yeah, um, and you I just kind of like slid it under the radar there. And you know, the first person I thought of was Casey Thompson. Yeah. After after he had said that, I'm like, well, if Ethan Piper can coach for them, sure as heck Casey Thompson <laughs> can coach for them. You would think so, right? Um, but you got Bryce Benhart coming back, right? You know, I I actually feel. I mean, reasonably good about that offensive line room. I don't, am I crazy? Like that's no, you're not. And so, uh, just to follow up on what Travis or who Travis was referring to, he was talking about Jordan Seaton, the number one tackle that was all in on Colorado, oh, gotcha, and now gotcha. he's torn. Um, and and look, Nebraska, I, I believe, has reached out to him already and can make a push for him. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm sure because, they would take him absolutely. Because like, if you look at Colorado um, in terms of how they built their roster so far, it's embarrassing. Yeah, it's a joke. How many how many how many commits they have right now, Andrew? <laughs> Colorado has six commits to their name. Most teams, on average, have somewhere between we'll just say seventeen or eighteen. Like you'll you'll find the randoms. Like UCLA has eleven commits. Some teams have fifteen, but a lot of teams have the high twenties. So if I'm trying to find like a good meeting ground, yeah, it it, it, it's it high would, teens, it would low probably 20s. be a high teen number. Yeah, Colorado is below Eastern Michigan, mm-hmm. Texas State. And Northern Illinois. Yep. They are merged between Eastern Michigan and South Alabama at 99 in the 24-7 recruiting rankings. Dude, you, you know how... Uh, That's pretty bad. You know how, um, <laughs> how much you uh, should focus on high school recruiting? When you are a college football team? I mean, more. You, more than Colorado is. You can't just go into the transfer portal and expect to do this every year. You the, can't. You tried that in year one, and what did it get you? You got four wins in year one. And then you got a team that was just kind of like, eh, I don't really want to be here. Also, you're not going to have your son at quarterback and a five-star. And Travis Hunter on the outside playing both ends of the field. Yeah, deciding to transfer in every year. Like, those guys aren't going to be available every year. You only had that because these were the guys you were connected with. Yeah, because. At your previous stop. Well, not just at his previous stop. He's known Travis Hunter since he was a kid. He's known Shadir Sanders his whole life. That's, it's, he has. Accurate. Um, the, uh, but, yeah, the, I, don't, I mean, I get it in the sense of if you're a high school kid and you see the way that Dion has treated these guys as disposable. Why would I want to sign up for that? It's the exact opposite. And listen, I'm not even saying it won't work because it might. 
he might have a year, he might have a Mel Tucker year where the transfer portal hits just right and he gets a Kenneth Walker and he gets just enough guys in just the right spots that it's able to pop off. I'm not, I've been saying pop off a lot in the last like four days. I don't know why. Hey, pop it's, off, man. It's like, you're, 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 you're in the Gen Z mode. Yeah, I don't know what's happening. Well, yeah, it's, it's bussing. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> What is that? Um, purple it's, drink? Yeah, we're spilling the tea. It's the purple drink. Uh, <laughs> but, like, I, I'm not saying it's never going to work. What I am saying is it's incredibly difficult and incredibly unlikely that you will find sustained success recruiting that way. Just that, in the transfer portal. That is, And that's why Coach Rule is so adamant about doing it the way he's done it. Because is it a quick fix? No. Is it a long-term fix? Yes. And I am all for the long-term fix over the quick fix. We've seen flash-in-the-pan seasons. Mike Riley went 7-0 and to start a season, for God's sake. Like, I'm over the quick, like, oh, hey, let's just turn this thing around. What's in that? A- <laughs> Travis says, just don't do a desk pop. <laughs> That's a really funny reference to an underrated movie and the other guys. Um, <laughs> the... <laughs> but not to get distracted. Yeah, I know, I know. The, you're the, talking the YouTube just always has me. Uh, but it is not a I'm, – I'm over the quick fixes. I'm over the – because it's – honestly, I think that's what went wrong with Coach Frost. I mean, a lot of things went wrong with Coach Frost. But early on, mm-hmm. rather than digging in and doing the hard work, he tried to get – he, he sacrificed some culture for guys that he thought were better players – and we saw how that ended up going. He tried to rebuild the culture in like year three or year four, and it was too late, right? It was, there was too much that had gone wrong at that point. Coach Rule has done it in a way that you see already how people want to be here. And look, you can quick fix positionally. Yes. You just don't quick fix a team, a whole team. and that's what you're referring to. Especially here. with a team like Colorado – who needed a whole overhaul. They won one game before Dion got there. And you need to find longevity. Yeah. And if you if you are going to go the direction that Colorado is headed, they aren't going to be a successful program more than long term. M- maybe the once in a blue moon uh yeah. sort of reference. In order to be built for the long haul, you have to have some sort of development taking place in your program. Absolutely. But here's the thing. It's not the NFL. You don't just go into free agency and sign a guy and expect him to be awesome because the guys in free agency that you are signing Mm -hmm. that are awesome require a lot of money. And that's why they cap in the NFL (laughs) how many of those guys you can get. In the transfer portal, not all guys in the portal, my man. Are studs. No, they are not. And more times than not, they either stay in the portal and go nowhere, they return to their university, or they get they go down a level. Coming up next, we'll wrap up our number one here on Herd Sports Radio. You're listening to Herd at Sports Radio. Ladies and gentlemen. The time has come to recognize the most decorated player in Creighton men's basketball history. Number three, Doug McDermott. (laughs) 
wrapping up hour number one here on Herd Ass Sports Radio. I'm Ravi Lula. Andrew Rogers here with me. We are on AM 590 ESPN Omaha. We're also on ESPN Tri-Cities in central Nebraska. And we are, of course, on Twitter, YouTube, and Facebook as well. Wanted to switch gears a little bit here real quick before we talk to Mitch Sherman at 8 o'clock and talk real quickly about uh, some local college basketball last night. Uh, Nebraska and Creighton both uh, on the court yesterday. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nebraska snuck by. Escaped. A North Dakota team. Down 10 at half. Down 10 at half, down 14 early in the second half. They were able to come back and win. I think the margin ended up being like 9 or something. I'll be honest. The final score was 83-75. Ooh, 8. I was close. Um, but Yeah, but if you were playing the prices right, you wouldn't have won. That's true. I went over. Shoot. Um the price is wrong, Bob. <laughs> no, uh, that's not what he says. Oh, uh, that, that's the TV version uh, or the radio version, as it were. Uh, so Nebraska is able to get a win. And, and listen, North Dakota is a, a real solid Summit League team. Uh, you probably would have liked to see them not fall behind by double digits the way they did, but um, came away with a victory, which is the most important part there. Uh, and then on the Creighton side of things, uh, obviously they played Villanova, had a really tough loss, which we can get into um, a little bit, but I, I did want to kind of start with the Doug McDermott uh, retirement. Uh, not retire. <laughs> Tell us about your goosebump moment. I mean, okay, so uh, Shane, go ahead and play the play a speech real quick. It's only about a minute. First thing I'd like to say is, Doug, you were right. I shouldn't have redshirted you your freshman year, so <laughs> it's time to come clean with that. But I just want to thank uh, Doug, you on behalf of our program and of your family. And also thank that group over there that was so instrumental to the success we had at that time. Wow. I'm speechless right now, guys. Um, I think you can hear the emotion in my, in my voice. Um, First off, thanks for drawing up all those plays for me, big guy. And thanks for letting me shoot all the shots, guys. I appreciate it. Um, but really, man, I just I don't want to be long. Uh, I know we got a big game against Villanova tonight. Um, I really just want to thank my teammates, my family, every single person in this crowd for making this the best four years of my life. And uh, this will always be home to me. Thank you. You can take all the shots when you make all the shots. That's true. Yeah, when you're when you're shooting the percentages that Doug did, it uh, makes it a lot easier to go ahead and, and let those shots go up. Um, yeah. So my I guess my goosebumps moment. There was a couple for me kind of during that ceremony. They showed a, a video montage of some of his biggest shots and moments, and uh, so that was, you know, the shot against Providence where he hits his 3,000th career point was obviously one. Um, there's a game winner that he hit against St. John's his senior year. That was a big one as well. And then, honestly, just hearing him kind of get choked up a little bit the way, the way he did there in that clip was a little bit of one for me too as well because I think, and I know I, I get this a lot, is I think people kind of view Doug as this, like, basketball robot where he doesn't really emote and he doesn't really, like, you know, like it's it seems like that's – He's basically just basketball all the time. He doesn't show a lot of emotion. He's very kind of like stoic and and sort of like stone-faced. And to see him actually get uh, emotional about 
uh, coming back to Omaha and being back at the CHI Health Center was actually pretty cool um, just to see him, to, to see the moment kind of hit him a little bit uh, because he was so, I mean, when he wasn't on the court actually playing, he was pretty uh, reserved. So that was super cool. Um, and then it was also really cool just to see all of his teammates there with him. Uh, you know, my personal fave, Ethan Rogge, was there. Uh, Jahens Managa was there from that team. I think Gibbs is coaching, so I don't think he could make it. But um, it was just really cool to see all of his teammates there to kind of support him and be there out for, be out there for him. Obviously, it would have been nice to get a win. Um, and so that Creighton wasn't able to do that there. Uh, but it was honestly just a super cool moment to see – kind of just relive that that period in Creighton history where, um, you know, I talked about earlier this week, like the 73-win Warriors is as much fun as I've ever had watching basketball um, in, in my life, even, you know, even though it didn't end the way I wanted it to. It was kind of the same thing with, with Doug McDermott's senior year. That team, watching them over the course of the season, is about as much fun as I've ever had watching basketball and being a sports fan, even though it didn't end the way I wanted it to, just getting to see them perform on a night-in, night-out basis. I mean, the Rocky game against Villanova is still one of my favorite things that's ever happened as a sports fan. But going in night-in, night-out and just knowing, like, yeah, Doug's probably going to get 30 and it's not going to be that big of a deal. Like, he's the only guy in college basketball I've ever seen get a quiet 30, like on a regular (laughs) basis. Right? Like, 30 in college basketball is a huge number, right? right? And... Just to see him go in on a night in, night out basis. And they were kind of going over some of his games, and they're like, yeah, he had 39 in this one. Oh, he had 39 in this one, too. Oh, he had 38 in this one. <laughs> it was just, he kept going down the list. You're like, man, there were a lot of those. And they're like, oh, yeah, by the way, he scored 45 in his senior <laughs> game, whatever. Well, when you, when you uh, shoot 30 on the low end of your points, I mean, that's why it's quiet. <laughs> yeah, it was. And, you know, the, fun, the crazy thing about Doug is, you know, he kind of made the jokes about Coach Mack and about drawing up the plays and about all the guys letting him take the shots. Literally the only time in his career I remember him feeling like, oh, he's shot hunting was senior night where he's like, yeah, I want to break the 3,000 at home. He needed like 34 or 38 points to get there. So it, it be- the beginning of the game, you're like, oh, he's kind of looking for a shot a little bit. The rest of the time it was crazy. It never felt like he was like shot hunting, which for a guy that scores that much is – Super unusual. Yeah, you know, it's it's kind of like when you watch Caitlin Clark play, and I know they're two different um, like scales of player in mm-hmm. terms of like Caitlin playing college basketball. It's like the best player in women's college basketball. When Doug McDermott was playing, he's not the best player, but he's one of the best. But when you watch like how they play on the teams that they play on, you never look at Caitlin Clark and think she's shot hunting. Yeah, no, like not she, really. She creates for herself. Mm-hmm. She does a really nice job uh, with the ball in her hands to either get to the rack or, or pull up when she knows she's feeling comfortable to shoot. That's kind of like Doug McDermott in his role when he played. Like it was, yeah. He has a lot of great pieces around him, but you know when Doug has the basketball, it's just like, okay, like wherever he decides to pull up from, whether it's a three-point line, whether it's getting to the rack, whether it's a mid-range jumper, like I'm cool with the look because you know that that's a comfortable shot for Doug to take. Well, and you, you trust his decision-making, and that is— And that's another big piece to that. Transitioning into what we saw last night, one of the things that I thought was really missing from Creighton yesterday was some of the decision-making— 
and by the officials or by well both (laughs) because Uh, with six seconds to go there seemed to be some weird weird decision making uh taking place at the scorer's table there was a lot of weird stuff going on all around and I am by no means going to blame this loss on the officials Creighton didn't play well enough to win they had opportunities uh to to make game-winning plays and they didn't they had opportunities Mm -hmm. to Alexander had a a drive at the end in OT that that's a layup he makes We'll call it uh, 45 times out of 50. Sure, yeah. I mean, he makes it a ton. He, he had made it in overtime already. Uh, Shireman had a couple opportunities. He had a bunch of missed free throws. I think they missed five of their last seven free throws, including two front ends of a one-and-one, one, which is basically like missing seven out of your last nine free throws because you don't even get the opportunity on the second one there. Um, they, yeah, they, they, were, they were sloppy at times. The offense was super stagnant. But it felt like, and I know they run a different type of offense now than they did when, when Doug was there, but it felt like at different points in the game that either Trey or Baylor or uh, mostly those two, Ashworth to a certain extent, even Farabello some, where they were just kind of dribbling and playing ISO basketball and not really letting the game come to them, trying to force the issue. Now, Villanova deserves credit there because their defense was stifling. They played really, really good defense. But you saw moments where Creighton was moving the basketball and being a little bit more active on the offensive end where they got really good looks. They couldn't, for whatever reason, seem to tap into that consistently. Part of that's probably on them. Part of that's probably on Villanova. So I, I want to start there with, with the loss. Like I don't – because the, offici- the officiating was super weird, especially at the end of regulation. No, that's the only point I wanted to talk about the officiating was when they go to the scorer's table and it, it's a clear shot clock violation yes. of Baylor Shireman. Yes, that It that should have been Villanova ball with six and a half six, seconds left. With six seconds to go, yeah. and I'm like, okay, well, if that's not the call, then it's clearly off of Miller if that ball touches the baseline. But the ball didn't Did touch, not the, touch baseline. the baseline. So then Miller saves it, and then it's a Baylor-Shireman game-winning three that's taken away. And then the next play, Trey Alexander gets the inbounds. He's going to the rack. Looks like he probably travels yes. on his shot attempt because it didn't touch anything. And I'm like, did people just, like, swallow the whistle in this moment? Yeah, in a really weird weird way like it so basically they got it wrong at every turn whether it benefited benefited Creighton or whether it benefited UConn I don't understand a world in which Creighton got the ball back with 3.3 seconds like that hilarious that didn't seem like a viable (laughs) option based on the things that had happened and so basically what it seemed like they decided was that it wasn't a shot clock violation which it certainly seemed like it was Mm -hmm. that the ball didn't go out of bounds which it didn't seem like it did and that the, the 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 three-pointer by Baylor Shireman wasn't going to count because they had already decided the ball went out of bounds. And none of his three-pointers counted yesterday. It's true. Uh, oh, for yesterday. That's, which, he actually snapped a 58-game streak of making a three-point shot. And, you know, the one that didn't count that would have been a game winner, he also had one at the very end that looked like it was going in. It just came up short. And that was just front iron. Uh, so Creighton fell, obviously, in overtime to Villanova. But... Despite that, still a really cool experience seeing Doug McDermott back in Omaha, getting his jersey retired. Uh, So even with the loss, it was a a pretty cool night. And Creighton has some things to work on. Oh, absolutely. They absolutely do. Uh, Coming up next, our guy Mitch Sherman from The Athletic here on Hernet Sports Radio. Welcome to Hurt at Sports Radio. Um, I'm never going to apologize for bringing in good players. I'm never going to apologize for bringing in competition. 
we live in a day and age now where everyone's still trying to find the best situation. I, I think you should try to find the place where you can get developed the best because no one knows how things are going to work out. So I'm, you know, as long as I'm not taking away your scholarship, I'm not going to apologize to you if I'm bringing in someone else. And I want players who want that. Like, I want to be the best, so I have to probably play with the best and compete against the best. And so that's why I respect Daniel so much for the decision he made. Kicking off hour number two here on Herd Out Sports Radio. I'm Ravi Lula. Andrew Rogers here with me. We're live on AM 590 ESPN Omaha ESPN Tri-Cities. Joining us now on the Warhorse Sportsbook Hotline is our guy Mitch Sherman from The Athletic. Mitch, how are you today? I'm well. Robbie, Andrew, how are you guys? Good morning, man. Good to see you. We, morning. We are doing well, you know, coming off of a a big national signing day for Nebraska. Um, I know you've been covering Husker football for a long time. What, um, I guess... You know, the, the Callahan years had some really good signing classes as well. I don't know, I don't know if you go that far back. Um, I, I guess where does this kind of rank for you in terms of, like, off-season excitement levels that we've seen at Nebraska? Uh, it's up there. I think just the Dylan Raiola, um, that one little narrative itself is in the top – two or three. Um, it's, it's hard to think of something that was more monumental than that for Nebraska to sign this quarterback. And it's not just that he's, you know, a top 10 player nationally or was the number one prospect in this, in this class for much of the cycle. It's that he's been on the radar for Nebraska for two and a half years. I think that, and that he's named Riola. I think that, all bundled together makes that singular event of of him committing on Monday and coming back into the um, into the picture last week and, and then signing yesterday. It was all just such a whirlwind thing because two weeks ago we were not thinking about Dylan Raiola. We weren't talking about it, and I truly believe that neither was Matt Rule. Um, you know, the only connection that stayed within the Nebraska program to Dylan was his uncle. And, and I don't know that we'll ever hear. I mean, maybe if Dylan makes it to New York someday as a Heisman finalist, and, and I'm not setting that as the <laughs> bar that he needs to reach, but you know, if he I, wants to do Heisman that, or bust. <laughs> that'd, be, sure. that'd, be a, that'd be a good story to cover. Uh, <laughs> maybe at that point, um, you know, the, 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 the questions would get, would get probing enough with, with Donovan. Uh, Donovan is not super forthcoming with uh, just like revealing personal uh, details. Matt Rule, Matt Rule is, and Matt Rule will tell you pretty much anything that he's thinking, um, at least as it fits his strategy, his communication strategy. Um, Donovan Raiola's communication strategy is, is different than Matt Rule's. <laughs> and while he has opened up some, in his second, he did in his second year in the program, and I think is a is a friendly guy when you talk to him. It's not that, it's not that he, and certainly he is with recruits and with people that he meets around the program, but he's not. I don't know that we'll ever hear from him exactly how he felt through this process. Like honestly, from the time that Dylan committed to Georgia in May up until last Sunday when he's calling Matt Rule and Dominic Raiola is making phone calls to 
former players from his era to gauge what they think about the Nebraska program and what's happened in the six months that they've kind of been out of the loop. You know, the only guy who stayed connected was Donovan, and, I, and I, it's, 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 he's a closed book when it comes to that. And, I, and it'll be really interesting to see if we ever find out exactly, you know, were they playing the long game? And did he think all along, yeah, we just got to wait this thing out and wait until signing day comes and we're going to get back in with Dylan. I, I don't know the answer to that. But I tried to answer every other question that I could with the piece that's out today on The Athletic about how Nebraska pulled this off. Yeah, Mitch, I wanted to bring up that, uh, that piece that you wrote uh, on The Athletic. I think you just tweeted it out about an hour ago um, on The Athletic. So if you're not a subscriber, you absolutely should be. But what were some of the things – that you did find out, some of the tidbits that you did find out about how this came to be. You mentioned Dom kind of reaching out to, to former teammates and things like that. What were some of the little nuggets that you were able to uncover that were the most interesting to you without obviously spoiling your, your piece there? No, I'm happy to spoil it. Um, <laughs> Go subscribe to The Athletic anyway, but he's going to spoil it. Yeah, well, um, I mean, I can't I can't get into the, the details of, the, of 2,000 words or we'll be talking for an hour. But um, but Dominic, uh, at the same so at the same time that, that Dylan reached out to Matt Rule on December 10th, this was a week ago Sunday, um, Dominic was doing his diligence behind the scene, the scenes, and he uh, connected with with uh, some former teammates, and you know one of them is Damon Benning, yeah. um, who, who of course you know well, and have talked to about this on the show. Um, I heard it um, driving <laughs> in my car one day last week, and it, and it it got me thinking to uh, to talk to Damon. So thank you for that uh, that little kick in the in the pants. And you know Damon shared some of the things with me that he shared with you, and and we talked for quite a while about. Um, what what Damon and, and and Dom talked about on that Sunday. And, and it was interesting to hear how um, as their conversation uh, uh, developed and, and progressed that, uh, you know, Damon texted Matt Rule about it and Matt Rule responded with with the exclamation point um, emphasis <laughs> um, like, yeah. Yeah, man, I know. I know. I'm, I'm, I'm hearing it, too. Like, obviously, I think Rule had some kind of a sense that something might be going on from his offensive line coach. And, um, you know, Dominic has talked to Jay Foreman. Um, they were teammates at Nebraska in 97 and 98. You know, Damon and Dom, um, they just, their careers bumped up against mm -hmm. each other. They weren't in, on the team at the same time. But Jay um, and, and Dom were, and they were they were close and have stayed close. And, and he was another confidant for – uh, for Dominic through this process and, and lended some advice and he lended advice to Dylan too, about the, um, just the support system that he would have if Dylan did choose Nebraska. Um, but not just on the coaching staff, of course, he has his uncle on the coaching staff and he has people like Jay, um, in the community around Nebraska, around Lincoln, who were there for him. If he needs something that, you know, he doesn't feel comfortable going to, to his position coach or his head coach about, and he needs to talk to somebody outside the program, there's options for, for Dylan um, to go to numerous people um, in the community here and just how valuable that is. And, and he also emphasized to, to Dylan, Jay did, um, that, you know, there's an opportunity for, for Dylan here at Nebraska that Jay didn't have at Nebraska, that, that Dominic didn't have at Nebraska, that Donovan didn't have when he played in college at Wisconsin, that Jay's father, Chuck Foreman, didn't have when he played in college and he was an NFL player like like um, like Dominic. Um, and that and that is to be someone who comes in and changes a program. When those guys that I mentioned who played at Nebraska walked in in the 90s, Nebraska was already 
at a certain level and they helped elevate the program, but it wasn't necessarily a program altering, program changing type of player. Um, you know, Tommy Frazier, he did that for Nebraska, but, you know, Dominic showed up five years later. Um, they'd already won national championships. So um, it's hard to say how much that all swayed Dylan. I think in the end, there were a lot of factors. And the biggest one um, was that, it, like, like he said, um, this is family. This is in his blood. I got a tremendous sense of that when I was in Phoenix in February and talked to all of them um, about just what what motivates them, um, you know, why they do what they do, why Dylan worked so has worked so hard at football over the years and studied it and, and, and poured himself into the game. And so much of it came back to family. I left that, that those conversations, um, you know, nine or 10 months ago, thinking that he was going to end up at Nebraska. Um, you know, it took a, a route that uh, not everyone foresaw, but the fact that he's here now, um, looking back at that, uh, it doesn't surprise me. Mitch, as you kind of Take a look at the quarterback room as a whole now with the addition of, of Dylan Rayola and Danny Kalen. Uh, you see Chubba Purdy enters the transfer portal last night. Obviously, Jeff Sims has al- already entered the transfer portal as well for Nebraska. So um, as you kind of like take a deep dive into what they have right now, how are you assessing it? And then also, uh, what do you think Nebraska is looking at right now in terms of adding maybe some veteran help, somebody with some games under their belt. You know, Casey Thompson's name was tossed around a little bit um, last week and this week, but if it's not him and it's somebody in the portal, who do you think they're kind of eyeing up? Yeah, well, pretty leaving um, or, or getting ready to leave. He's not officially in the portal, but, you know, it's going to happen. Um, his parents say it's happening, so that's that's about as, as good of a source as you can get on that one. Right. I feel like I tell my uh, parents most things, and the things I tell them are yeah. true. <laughs> if they're in the dark, then there's other problems. But um, that changes it. That changes the the dynamic of the room for sure. Um, you have two true freshmen and Heinrich Harburg, and you've got Luke Longball, who's a walk-on um, out of Iowa Western, and you've got Jack Wosh, who's a, a walk-on transfer from, from Ole Miss. Um, it's a, it's a thin group, um, especially when you consider that at two of those players have no experience at the, at the college level. Now, um, Dylan comes in with a set of tools and, and, and skills and talent, uh, that are, that are rare. Um, but there is not a lot that, that, that you can trade to, for experience Experience is The only way you can get it is by going out there and playing. And even if he's the starter on day one, it would benefit him a lot to have some people around him who have that experience. Um, you know, we heard yesterday um, that this Casey Thompson thing is is at that point wasn't going anywhere. And the expectation was that that he's not going to transfer back to Nebraska. I, you know, I, I don't entirely close the door because um, and I'll probably get a call when when I'm done talking to you now. It's just, close the door. It's not happening. Quit, quit I haven't closed it, it either. But, but I mean, hey, we heard that yesterday. And then Chubba goes in and decides to leave. You know, when Matt Rule talked at 1130 yesterday, he didn't sound like a guy who was who was expecting Chubba Purdy to leave. You know, his name came up in the in the press conference. And and I think that they expected or hoped um, still hoped that they would have Chubba out there as a competitor in spring practice. So, you know, but part of this has changed um, in the last 24 hours or 20 hours. So, OK, does that open the door for? Um, for somebody like Casey, and if it's not Casey, then could you could you find somebody in the portal um, either now 
in that players can come out of the portal anytime. And there's this deadline uh, in the, in the first week of January to enter the portal. Mm-hmm. Um, so whoever's in by January 4th or 5th, that's the, that, that those are the only players you can get out until the spring. But then another period after spring practice in May exists to, uh, to, for players to go in. I, I think they'll look, I think that they'll, it's, it's got, it's, it's, it takes a unique player. Mm-hmm. Um, because you're coming in alongside the um, the five star recruit who is obviously seen as the future, and there are I don't know that there are a lot of veteran quarterbacks out there who are looking for a spot to come in and, and mentor um, freshmen. But maybe there's somebody, maybe there's somebody with a connection to this coaching staff who understands um, you know how they build and wants to get into coaching himself. Who, who can fit that role, but it'll be a storyline to watch from, from now all the way up until May. Mitch, how about outside of the quarterback position? In term, I, I kind of want to marry uh, what we opened up this whole segment with, with um, early signing day and uh, the talk about the quarterback spot. In terms of areas of need, where do you think Nebraska has gotten better for next season one and two for the future? Maybe it's the same for both. Well, I think for the long-term future, they got better on the offensive line with this class. And, you know, we don't know the exact breakdown of everything as it relates to, you know, who's coming on scholarship and who's going to be on NIL um, assistance. Uh, and that, I guess it doesn't really matter because they signed six guys yesterday um, on the offensive line who are all scholarship worthy. Um, and that's that's a big group um, of offensive linemen. You know, you've I've seen it at five before, but six is a is a is a big group. And they need help at tackle. Um, right now, you've got Bryce Benhart and Teddy Prohaska in the program, and it looks good for your starting right and left tackle next season. Um, but we've seen those guys – well, not Benhart, but we've certainly seen Teddy Prohaska um, suffer su- some injury issues, mm-hmm. and you want to have some depth there. And depth is not necessarily going to come from your uh, freshmen in the recruiting class. They do have Gunnar Gatula, who redshirted last year, uh, who can play tackle. They might also look at him at guard if he's one of their top five guys on the line going into next season. Um, it depends on how some things play out with players deciding to come back from injury or or calling it a career. You know, I'm, I'm looking at Ethan Piper. Um, you know, Turner Corcoran's also coming off of a big injury, and, um, you know, he's he's had had multiple issues with his health, too, through his career. So we'll see, um, you know, how that progresses. But um, they got better on the offensive line for the long-term future. In, in the immediate um present of what's happening right now i mean obviously quarterback is the biggest thing where they made a change with these two true freshmen um and just overhaul the look of the group um you know i'd look at tight end and 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 stay right there and bringing in some really dynamic guys i mean it's a different group of players too you have four players you know who are all some type of tight end i, I i've seen you know keelan smith even listed as a wide receiver um, but he's kind of a, a positionless player that that Matt Rule talked about when he described Carter Nelson. Both of those guys, there ought to be ways in this offense, especially with the um, some of the issues with depth and experience that Nebraska has at wide receiver, for for them to come in and and you know I think in Nelson's case definitely help Nebraska right away. We'll see. Keelan Smith had a great senior season in Kansas City, and he played at a higher, much higher level of football than what Carter Nelson did. Um, in eight man um, at the in Nebraska, um, it, it, I'm I'm interested to see with those two and 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 neither of them 
Um, well, I know Nelson is not. I'm not sure on Smith, but I don't believe either of them are, are mid-year players. Um, when they do get here, that there's going to be an opportunity to, for, for them to see how they fit into this program. And then Eric Ingerson um, and, and Ian Flint are more of your traditional tight ends. Mm-hmm. So with what Nebraska has coming back at that spot and Thomas Fedoni now having a full year under his belt and, and Nate Borkutcher coming back um, and some younger players like Ismail Smith-Flores, I, I do think they got a lot better in that at that position too. We're talking with Mitch Sherman from the Athletic. Uh, Mitch, you mentioned that offensive line group, and I'm actually I'm fairly bullish on that group. They've signed. You mentioned the six guys in this class. They've signed eleven in the two recruiting classes that Coach Rule has brought in. Um, how? I guess my question for you there is. Uh, how much do you think that positionless type of mentality translates to the offensive line as well? Because I know, you know, we've talked about it with the tight ends. We've talked about it. Coach Rule talked about it with the defensive backs as well. We kind of have a lot of these guys. It's like, ah, oh, we're kind of worried about the tackle spots and we're not really sure here and there. Do you think they kind of apply that level of logic to, hey, we think these guys are athletic and move well and explosive. We're just going to put them out there. Like, How much do you think that applies to a spot like offensive line? Well, I think they cross-train those guys, and they want them to be able to learn different spots. But especially at tackle, um, tackle's a tackle. And, you know, I think you can be a tackle and play guard, but I don't think you can be a guard and play tackle effectively, um, especially if you've got a quarterback who needs time in the pocket and needs to be protected. If it's an option an, an option attack, you know, a, a straightforward downhill running game, that's a different story. Um, but in a pro-style offense, if you're going to throw it 30 times a game, if you're going to have a quarterback like Dylan Rayola or Daniel Kalen, you know, who is more of a traditional uh, pocket-style passer, I think you need offensive tackles who can match up against those elite pass-rushing defensive ends and backers who are coming off of the edge. So you can't just take a, a good athlete who's a positionless offensive lineman and stick him out there at left or right tackle and say, okay, go do your job. You know, they've run into some issues when they've tried to do that in recent years. But, yeah, there's a certain element to that absolutely on the inside of the offensive line. I mean, a guy like Justin Evans Jenkins, he's positionless as far as, as it goes across the interior. You know, I mean, he could ultimately be a center when Ben Scott's gone. Um, he can back up Ben Scott. You know, if something happens to Ben Scott, I think Justin Evans Jenkins can step in there. But he can also start for you at guard. Um, and, you know, they may take a guy who's a future tackle in the program. This is something that Iowa has done a lot in building their great offensive linemen and offensive lines. And they'll take someone who projects at tackle and ends up turning into a first-round draft pick as a tackle. And they'll play him at guard when they're a redshirt freshman or a sophomore. And I could see Nebraska doing something like that, um, as I mentioned a minute ago, with with, with – um, a player like Gunnar Gatula, or even Grant Bricks mm-hmm. as he comes into the program. I mean, Grant Bricks, eventually he projects mm-hmm. as a tackle because of his athleticism and his length and just w- the way that he can move. Um, but as you get him ready, if he's somebody who can help you and, he, and you can put him at guard and he can move people in front of him, then great, put him out there. Mitch, we, um, we heard you say already about uh, the former players and how they've been kind of brought up in that conversation with Coach Rule yesterday in terms of, um, you know, kind of like big recruiters for the university. They're the best ones to be able to to hear from because they experienced what it was like to play football at Nebraska. Then you then you heard Coach Rule also mention Coach Osborne's name and, and saying that he's one of the best recruiters. You know, put him in a room with somebody and it's hard to tell Coach Osborne no. Um, and I just think that that was a cool piece because as 
the conversation went on during that press conference, and a, a listener pointed this out to me. You heard Rule say, we took a lot of safeties who we hope will rush the passer. We want to be the fastest team out there. And that's a lot what Coach Osborne did in the early 90s. I mean, just how much do you credit Coach Rule for being a lifelong learner and seeing that, hey, Coach Osborne made something work at Nebraska, and I think I can recreate it? Yeah, I mean, one of the things about him that's that's – that's great is that he doesn't close any doors for, to, for, to give himself opportunities to, to grow and to learn and to make himself better as a coach and, and a leader. You know, I think a lot of people in, in various aspects of, of football um, or sports, you know, they want to take a side often there, you know, there's, there's, there's two different factions. There's two ways to see it. And, you know, Matt rule um, I've seen over and over, over this first year at Nebraska is, you know, he's not, he's not like, he's not, he he want he wants to 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 be able to capitalize on everything that's available to him, and you know if there's two camps and there's and there's and there's two ways of seeing things like he's going to try to get both of those, um, the take the positive elements of both of those and and Im- improve the Nebraska program. So yeah, the the Osborne way of um, recruiting. And of being open-minded to different schemes, and and you know he, his 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 offense changed through his years. Uh, Osborne's did his defense changed and evolved through his years. I think you see elements of that with Matt Rule. You know the defense that he ran in year one at Nebraska was considerably different than the, than the defense that he ran um, when he was a young coach at Temple or when he was at Baylor. You know some elements of it, of it are the same, but he brought Tony White in. You learn from Tony White. Um, about what they what Tony wanted to do on the defensive side, and you saw the results in year one. You know, it's exciting to think what year two can be in that defensive system because there should be a pretty big jump, and they're getting so many of the key pieces back. Um, you know that that philosophy of having safeties who can play like linebackers. You know, it's 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 something that Nebraska has has used, of course, in some of its great defenses in the past. But you know, that's a that's a staple of the Tony White system. And you can see it in the way that they go out and recruit defensive backs. You know, in, in both of these classes and in, in what they added somewhat in the portal um, last year, there are so many of these athletes on the defensive side who just you put into that DB group. And there are five defensive backs in the system, so I get it. It's almost half of the defense, so you expect there's going to be a lot of spots used. But um, – you know, they can even yesterday on signing day, they just continue to add pieces to that defensive backfield. And you want it's like, does Evan Cooper just have carte blanche to be able to add? <laughs> more? And he's Matt Rule's talent evaluator, his top guy. So I, I get the sense like if he wants somebody, generally he gets that guy. Like he gets to to pursue that guy. Um, and they land a lot of them. So um, we're just starting to see the tip of the iceberg, I think, because most of the players who played in that in that secondary were veteran types. We're, in 24, we're going to we're going to continue to see more of those young players emerge, and it, it'll be really interesting to see how um, all those pieces fit together. All right, Mitch, I'm gonna you got 10 seconds here. I'm gonna fit this one in quickly. I have to get a Christmas question into you in a Christmas karaoke showdown. Which holiday song would be your secret weapon? For me to sing, um, that's not going to be a good idea in any, in any situation. Um, I don't know. I'll just go with Silent Night, but I probably wouldn't be good. <laughs> Silent Night. I love it, man. Bringing the vibe down in the bar a little bit. Mitch Sherman, we appreciate it. Uh, have happy holidays. We'll talk to you later, Mitch. All right. Thanks, guys. Same See you, man.
You're listening to Hurt at Sports Radio. Welcome back to Hurt at Sports Radio. We're halfway through the show here on a Thursday. I'm Ravi Lula. Andrew Rogers here with me. We're live on AM 590 ESPN Omaha, ESPN Tri-Cities. Live from Hurt at Sports Bar and Grill on the H&H Chevrolet stage. want to remind you... When you're driving, hands on the wheel, eyes and focus straight ahead. As the driver, you have one job, and that is to drive. This message brought to you by the NDOT Highway Safety Office. Uh, Wanted to hop in, change gears a little here, uh, talk a little bit about volleyball. Not Mm -hmm. necessarily what happened on the court for Nebraska. I feel like we covered that pretty well earlier this week yeah, you guys did a good job on monday you and avery but the thank you the there's been a little bit of drama yeah as of weird. late which i we we kind of caught it at the end of the show yesterday uh but i'll, I'll let you kind of explain the backstory because you read it off to me mm-hmm. and i was like that is that it struck me really oddly so former husker uh now texas transfer kayla caffey uh shared some words for whitney launstein um, and this was on her Instagram page, mm-hmm. and it read, "Welcome to the side where we win championships," which is kind of like, okay, like a little bit of a, a little, little bit of a, of a shot, jab, but, but whatever. Yeah. And get loved on at the same time, like that's the part I bolded. Yes. So I'm gonna read it again. Welcome to the side where we win championships and get loved on at the same time. And so the only thing this could um, have any reference to is is John Cook. That, that, that is the only yeah. thing. Because if you the, – the only – first, before, like, out of – just in a vacuum, the only two things that could mean are like, hey, the fans don't support you mm-hmm. or the program doesn't support you. And yeah. obviously and we know we, the fans yeah, show We out. obviously know it is not a fan situation between 92,000 at Memorial Stadium, between everybody showing up in Tampa. So that only leaves the program itself. And, you know, I don't know John Cook's personality – and I'm not going to pretend I know how he coaches and how these athletes over the years have received his coaching style, but I do know the players this season spoke very highly of him. Mm -hmm. So that's why it initially came as a shock to me. Yeah, I I agree. And and listen, I I know that there's been, I guess, some players in the past, and I know you've talked to some people that know players. They're like, yeah, he can be a little gruff sometimes. Mm -hmm. And... But I mean, I mean, I want to be totally clear. We've never heard anything in terms of like being out of line or over the line or anything like that. And so what I think it comes down to is kind of coaching styles versus personality Mm -hmm. types. Right. And that's sort of the thing that I wanted to get into here, because there are and I know this from being a coach, from being a player, you know, it the same, whether it's uh, men, women, boys, girls, kids, whatever. Certain people react very differently to certain types of coaching, right? I mean, I have been, it's not just in coaching, right? There's in like personal relationships, in friendships, whatever, people react really differently to different approaches to communication. Like there are people, and you know them, I know them, I've seen it, where if you raise your voice at all, even if they you're shut not, down. Yeah, even if you're not yelling at them, right? Just the act of raising your voice at all causes that person to shut down. They hear nothing else, right? So if you're a coach and you get a little animated, whether you're being 
disrespectful or like demeaning or anything. It doesn't even have to be that, right? If you don't react well to people who raise their voice, which by the way happens a lot in coaches. Coaches yell. That's kind of a, a very common thing. Mm-hmm. Half How the time, point across. Sometimes. I'll say half the time it's just a practicality thing because it's often loud in the places you are coaching. <laughs> like that's honest to God. When I coached, I wasn't really like an angry yeller. The only times I would really yell is if somebody really pushed me to a point where I was, where I got to the point where I was angry enough to yell, which didn't happen very often. Mm-hmm. I mean, anybody who knows me, I'm not really a yeller. But 90% of the time, it was a practical, these people need to hear me, and it is loud in here. My only, <laughs> the only thing left to do is yell. So regardless of what the message is, a lot of times – People don't receive that well. Mm-hmm. And I know, like, other, older people especially will be like, oh, kids are so soft, whatever. I don't know that it's a generational thing. I think fewer people in the younger generations respond well to yelling. But I don't know that a lot of people have ever responded super well to yelling. But I, I think the interesting part here is the perception of how Coach Cook came off to – certain players that have spoken out, like Caffey or, or whoever, right? I, I, I don't know if it has – and, again, it might have as much to do with the player and the way they receive information as it does yeah. the coach and the way they relay the information. And, and you know, here's another um, – here's, here's what else I can say from the coach point of view. Uh, a head coach isn't meant to be your friend. Right. Uh, their primary goal is to make the program successful. Mm-hmm. It's not always easy, especially with people of all different coaching styles and personalities, as Ravi was um, um, kind of pointing at uh, with that, w- with his take there. But do I think a coach should support an athlete's journey and be there for them? That's how I coach, so I think yes. But I also don't think it's a requirement it, it, because of how different coaching styles are, are kind of brought about. I also think you know, the level at which you're coaching matters there, too. And I, I also think it's important to note that coaching women and coaching men are two entirely different things. Um, I can be hard on, on my guys at any time, and they will receive anything, but that's also because they know it comes from a good place. Uh, but with women, I think you need to take a more emotional approach. And I've actually heard a lot of other coaches say that before. So it's not just, it's not just me just making this claim. Uh, it, it's something that I've heard over the years. And when I actually went through a lot of coach trainings, mm-hmm. that's something that they said, hey, these things are two, like two different beasts, like tackling this versus tackling that. It, look, that can be argued too. Uh, because somebody may say it's not. They're actually more similar than you think. But here's why I also think that, you know, uh, you, you can be um, harder, like with guys versus girls is, uh, or with women. I, I was on the women's basketball practice squad at Lindenwood, mm-hmm. okay? The, the head coach of the team was very, very tough, like a hard-nosed, like you said, a gruffy type of guy. Um, made, made the ladies run a lot. Um, they were great. They, they were heavily conditioned, but they were also one of the faster teams of the conference because of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the end of the season, he was fired. Okay. And it was because a lot of players on the team went to the athletic director and, and shared some complaints. Mind you, this team just won their first ever conference championship mm-hmm. as a team that wasn't supposed to win in the tournament. Um, so firing, 
Coach Francis at the time I thought was like very bizarre and weird. Uh, but they wanted to feel the love more, and they just felt like they never got enough of that. And, you know, maybe that's how Kathy felt, and that's why she went about posting this. Maybe Coach Cook was tougher to play for in years before. Um, yeah. And, you know, maybe – um, and I'm stealing this from one of our Hurt uh, at Sports co-workers but that I had a conversation with. Maybe he's just gotten more patient and relaxed sure. later on in life. And, you know, there's a lot of possibilities. But, again, what I know uh, about John Cook and who he is today is that he's somebody that this team really respects. Yeah. And uh, you know what? That, that right now I think is the most important thing to focus on because people change over time if, if there was a change that needed to be made. Yeah, and, and I, I will. I want to go back to a little bit of what you said about the, kind of the difference between coaching men and women because, I, I mean, I've never coached women, so I can't – I don't have personal experience there. And, and you know what? I've only coached girls. Yeah. And when I say girls, I mean like, like sixth grade girls. Yeah, like younger, like um, youth. So I, I can't really, uh, you know, connect with the women approach either, but I have played or practiced with a team that played sure. for a tough coach and know some of those stories. And, and what I think is the key there, whether it's men, whether it's women, is I think, and you kind of touched on it with your, your Lindenwood story, is is feeling the love, right? Whether it's men, whether it's women, whether it's youth, whether it's adults, if you are clear about the fact that you care for your players, which I think Coach Cook is, like I'm not saying that he's not, I think you can get away with is not the right term, but you have more leeway in terms of your coaching style, right? If you aren't very clear that you care about them as people outside of the sport, then the way you treat them when you coach, you have to be a lot more delicate. Whereas if you're crystal clear, they know without a shadow of a doubt that you care about them, that you love them, that you want what's best for them, not just in the sport, but outside of it as well. I think you can get uh, be a little rougher and be maybe a little bit more, uh, yell a little bit more, a little bit gruffer than if you never show that other side of your personality and you never show that other side that you care about them. Because at the end of the day, men, women, adults, children, people want to be cared about as people first. And then you can get to the sports part of it. And to me, I think Coach Cook does a good job of that. I think from what we've seen from the majority of the players, he does a good job of that. But for whatever reason, Kayla Caffey obviously wasn't feeling that love. Uh, coming up next, we're going to make some money, hopefully, with Brian Edwards, Vegas Insider. You're listening to Hurt at Sports Radio. It's not about coming in and scripting for success. It's about teaching them how to play quarterback the way we want our quarterbacks to play. And that's why I didn't want a quick fix. To me, um, I want to build this thing with guys who've been in the program, who learn our way of thinking, our way of seeing the field, our way of viewing defenses, our way of calling protections, our way of training. <clears throat> so I think as we move forward, um, you know, everything will be earned, nothing will be given, but it'll be great competition, it'll be great learning and great development, and we, uh, we have some pretty special players in that room. Kicking off hour number three here on Herd at Sports Radio. I'm Ravi Lula. Andrew Rogers here with me on AM 590 ESPN Omaha, ESPN Tri-Cities. And, of course, for hour number three, we're on KFOR in Lincoln as well. Also on Twitter, YouTube, and Facebook. 
wherever you're listening, we are brought to you by our friends at Pratt Dental. Pratt Dental located in North Platte, Nebraska. They are certified in the BioClear method and modern smile design, which can correct many aesthetic dilemmas in a permanent and less invasive manner than traditional treatments such as crowns. You can do it in less time, less waiting, fewer appointments. You can get multiple restorations done in the same day. Make sure you check out prattdental.com slash bioclear-dental-treatment or go to prattdental.com, P-R-A-T-T, Go to their services and click on the BioClear treatment. Pratt Dental, creating healthy smiles. A guy that's always got a nice, healthy smile for <laughs> us is our friend Michael Brunts from Husker 24-7. Brunts, what's going on, buddy? Not much. How you guys doing? Good morning, Bruntsy. Uh We are doing pretty well. Uh, after the kind of whirlwind, I know signing day can be for uh, for the – those of you in the recruiting website world, uh, how you feeling this morning after Nebraska got a, obviously, Dylan Riel, and then a, a few key flips as well? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I, I have to say, just from a purely just worried about me point of view, it was kind of <laughs> nice that Rayola announced on Monday when he did, because it kind of, it kind of let everything breathe a little bit. Um, so selfishly, that was that was okay with me. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you know, things went Nebraska's way. Um, you know, I don't think any of those were particularly big surprises. You know, like Amari Sanders had been committed to Nebraska for over a month and was just waiting to go public with it. Larry Tarver had kind of been, um, you know, expected to flip as well. So, you know, it, it, it was as much of a kind of a stress-free signing day as you can have when you have, like I said, four guys commit with uh, uh, Bly Hill. But, um, you know, I, I think that's partially, you know, due to the way that Nebraska recruits now. Um, you know, the, the bulk of their class was done in July, um, mm-hmm. you know, before they even set foot on campus for fall camp. So that helps kind of, you know, make things a little bit calmer. But, <laughs> you know, after that little, you know, week hiccup where all of a sudden Dylan Rayola was visiting and, um, you know, you had some question about what, what Daniel Kalen was going to do, everything just kind of, you know, got back to normal and, and tied up with a nice little bow. Bruncey, how is uh, Dylan Rayola's move not just a major one nationally uh, for Nebraska's outlook, but also great just for the sport of college football to show that it's okay not to go to the we'll call them five powerhouse schools if you want to make a name for yourself yeah I I think there's been a little bit of a kind of a democratization of the five stars um with with NIL and and that kind of thing um and and you know I, I think there's probably a little bit more of you know look like especially at the quarterback spot you can't load up in one place. I mean, and <laughs> there, there's only one one guy can play. There's only one football. And if you're a, a highly ranked quarterback and you want to play early, you kind of got to pick your spot. And you know, there, there's only you know one guy that can go to Georgia, one guy that can go to to, to Alabama. And you know, I think that's kind of helped with kind of spreading the wealth a little bit. Um, so I, I think it's good. I mean, it, it's. The, the quarterback recruiting piece has been so interesting the last few years because, you know, basically if a guy doesn't start his first two years at a place, he's probably not going to still be there 
Um, you still saw this year a ton of guys that you know started significant games for their teams as freshmen uh, hit the portal and move on. So it, it's uh, it's fascinating. I think you know him him coming to Nebraska though. I, I think you know Nebraska's been down for a long time, and uh, that, that that certainly changes the narrative a little bit for what the the short-term trajectory can be, I think, for the program. We're talking with Michael Brunts of Husker 24-7. Uh, Brunts, do you think, you kind of mentioned the, the democratization of the five stars a little bit. Do you think as we continue into the NIL era, the transfer era, and now we, we sprinkle in the 12-team playoff era where all of a sudden access to a championship is more available than it's ever been, do you think we will continue to see that trend in that direction? That's a good question. I mean, I, I think I think with the playoff, you kind of need to see it play out once to kind of see what that's actually going to look like, at sure. least from the, the perspective of a recruit, right? Like, it, it's one thing if a coach says, "Yeah, you know, come to come to this school, we'll go nine and three, and we'll be in the in the playoff." You, you kind of want to see that happen because otherwise, it just kind of sounds like a you know, a pitch, a recruiting pitch right now. Um, but, yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I think that'll play into it. I mean, with the NIL stuff, you know, d- does that eventually go in-house um, with NCAA changes? I mean, that, that can very well shift things as well. So, you know, there's not a lot of uh, solid ground right now, I feel like, in college football. And, and certainly the playoffs, a piece of it. I mean, is, are, are we going to get a split altogether of, football and, and what that looks like I mean that there's you know it feels like year to year almost you, you just can't count on um, a lot right now being uh, be, being long term in college football but I, I think a lot of that stuff does kind of benefit a place like Nebraska because it does it does uh, I, I think play to some advantages that a place like Nebraska has. Bruncey, uh, let's go back to signing day for a moment. Statewide, who do you predict to have the biggest impact right away for this Nebraska football program, whether it's an immediate need or someone you just expect to be a difference maker early? Who do you predict that is? Yeah. Um, and maybe take Dylan Rayola out of this conversation. <laughs> yeah, no, that I, that I – I'm not going to take the layup. I, I want to drive to the hoop and, and get the contact here. He wants the hand uh, one. He wants the hoop and the harm yeah, here. Yeah. Give me the charity stripe extra. Yeah, I don't know. It, it's interesting. I mean, I, I'm I'm thinking, trying to think of the guys who are going to be on campus in January because that's such a key piece of being able to play early. I think, and yeah. you know, I think a guy in the class that is going to maybe have something to say for. You know, this season is Ja'Cory Barney, um, I, I, you know, a wide receiver who played wide receiver, played some quarterback. Like, he, he did a little bit of everything. He's just a good football player, a tough football player. And, you know, he's going to have to add some weight. But, you know, that that's one position where I think you look at it and, you know, they're not going to be afraid to play a guy if he's ready just because I, I still think there's going to be – the, the depth chart there is going to still be a little bit thin. So I, I'll say Ja'Cory Barney is a guy that I'm watching very closely and, and will be in spring because I think he's got a chance to come in and, and help right away. You know, the, the class is interesting because it, it was huge on offensive linemen. We have six or seven offensive linemen in the class. 
those guys typically don't get on the field early, so that doesn't help you much there. Um, you know, you only got one quarterback that can play. And, you know, I, I just think it's a lot of it's going to kind of be a, more of a developmental class, even though, you know, Nebraska showed that they're willing to get guys on the field early as freshmen at certain spots. But I, I would kind of lean, lean Barney at, at wide receiver. I think he's going to be a, a guy to watch. Yeah, Barney was a name that stuck out to me as well. And then one other name that I'm curious what your thoughts are, they that Coach Rule brought up yesterday, you know, they talked about Carter Nelson being in kind of a San Francisco 49ers role. And I'm sure most yeah. people thought uh, thought Kittle when they thought tight end <laughs> Carter Nelson. I thought Kyle Juszczyk because the way they used to use him before Christian McCaffrey came around, he got mm-hmm. lined up all over the field, H-back, running back, tight end, out wide sometimes. Like, could you see somebody with that versatile skill set uh, maybe make an impact right away or because of where he's coming from in terms of level of competition being an eight man which is just I mean it's a different game mm-hmm. do you think maybe he takes yeah. a little longer that was that was the only reason that I didn't say him right away was I think there's going to be a little bit of an adjustment coming from from eight man to 11 and, and I think he can figure it out I mean he, sure he's a freak athlete like there's not, not that's not taking anything away from him. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of curious to see. I mean, he's going to be at the, at the uh, All American Bowl in a couple weeks here against you know the, the country's best, and I'm eager to kind of see how he holds up because um, mm-hmm. I, I, I think he has the skill set and you know the way that they can potentially use him on offense and the, what they've talked about. Uh, that's intriguing to me, and that I, I think sometimes too, if you can carve out a spot for a guy. And you can say this is what your role is going to be, and we want you to do this really well. I think that simplifies things a bit. I mean, I, I think, I think I'd be a little bit more ready to say like he's a day one contributor if he were coming in in the spring, because um, I, I think that just kind of puts you behind a little bit. He's going to have to put on some weight, I think, to kind of do what they want him to. But mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, I, I I think in terms of just offensive pieces, I mean, he he was by far the, the biggest get, um, you know, wh- whether that's, you know, uh, H-back, running back, tight end, wide receiver, wherever. Um, I, I'm eager to see what they kind of do with him because, um, you know, it's funny that, you know, the, the, the Riola signing kind of overshadowed everything. But, I mean, that was a, that was a real elbows-out recruiting win that, that Nebraska had there. I mean, I, I think it probably gets lost because he's an in-state kid and had been committed for so long. But they really did a good job of getting that one over the finish line. Yeah, I mean, he finished the year number 43, according to your 24-7 sports rankings, in the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's a, that's a pretty good number there, getting <laughs> a top 50 guy. Um, I, I'm curious what you think, you know, because Coach Rule uh, talking about the defensive backs and all the defensive backs that they've brought into the room because uh, they brought a ton of tight ends in, they brought a ton of offensive linemen in, they also brought a ton of defensive backs. Out of this group, do you look at a guy – do you look at any of those guys and say, hey, that's a day one contributor? And also, do you look at any of those guys as obvious examples of people that might get put into maybe linebacker positions or edge rusher, rusher positions the way that Coach Rule was talking about? Yeah, no, I, of the guys, I mean, I think they're a little thin still on true corners. I could see Buf- Mario Buford, you know, potentially getting in the conversation early on. He's going to be an early enrollee. Uh, played at a really high level in, in Texas uh, for, for his time down there. Um, you know, I, I think 
you know, if, if you've been around his brother at all, there's a maturity there that you don't often see in, in, in young college kids, um, which I think helps too. So I think he's a guy that you could see on the field sooner than later. Um, in terms of guys that could kind of grow into linebackers, I mean, a, a Braylon Prude, I mean, I know that we list him, I think we list him as a safety, but I think he eventually lands at linebacker. He's, you know, 6'3", six, 6'4", six, and can run. Um, I know he had a just an absolutely horrific injury his senior year, but Rex Guthrie is probably going to slide into that Isaac Gifford role by the time everything's said and done as a rover, maybe a smaller linebacker. Um, you know, he, he's just a, a prolific tackler, had over 120 tackles as a junior out in Colorado. Um, he'll be on campus early rehabbing from a, a dislocated ankle and a broken bone in his leg. Like, it, it was pretty bad. Um, so... I, you know, that'll sort itself out. I, I think, you know, they need a lot of defensive backs. They're trying to increase competition in that group. And the way they recruit guys, I mean, it, it's a guy could end up as a safety. Maybe he's a corner. I mean, you saw what they did with, um, you know, Malcolm Hartzog moving him back and forth. And, and you know, they, they've had guys in the past like Quentin Newsom that have kind of done that if needed. If needed. So I, I think it sorts itself out. Um, I, I think they're also just kind of trying to find guys who – have a ton of upside. I mean, Amari Sanders is another guy who hasn't played a ton of football, could be a corner, um, you know, maybe a safety at some point, uh, but just a rangy guy that can run. I mean, that, that's what the staff looks for is, is traits and attributes in that secondary, and I think they got a lot of those types of guys. Brunty, you mentioned the linebacker position. What was your reaction to Eric, the Eric Fields news yesterday? I mean, that's a player I thought had tremendous athletic ability and definitely was one of, one of the more intriguing commits of the 2023 class. Did that update come as a complete surprise to you as well? well we had kind of been hearing that that was not trending well um, in terms of him staying on campus. Um, you know, he had... Hadn't really dressed out for any games early in the year. Um, you know, I was going back and looking through what we'd written about him in fall camp, and I think there was a lot of excitement about him, but you, you didn't hear him mentioned as the year went on, and that's never usually a good sign. And he, he went home. Um, he's not in the transfer portal. And, I mean, you guys remember last year at a National Signing Day, you know, Matt Rule singled him out and basically said, like, you're going to know who Eric Fields is. And – you know, I think he's a tremendously talented defensive player. Um, it just, for whatever reason, didn't mesh with him in Lincoln. And, you know, maybe that's, I, I don't know if there's, you know, stuff going on there, or what happened, but, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think he was a guy that was a very, the staff viewed as a very, very high upside guy and somebody that, you know, eventually would have been, you know, that, that Isaac, Isaac Gifford type role or, uh, maybe growing into a little bit bigger linebacker. So, um, you know, I, I think there's a little bit of disappointment over there in North Stadium that that didn't work out because I think they felt like they got a guy that was very, very under the radar. We're talking with Michael Brunts of Husker 24-7. Speaking of under the radar, Brunts, are there any kind of sleepers from this 2024 class that you're low-key pretty excited about? Um. Yeah, I mean, it's it's an interesting class. I mean, I, I, I got to see Landa Davidson, um, the, the offensive lineman from Colorado, play earlier this fall. And, you know, he earned his offer at camp, um, you know, had a little bit of recruiting juice behind his name, but not a ton. Mm-hmm. And, 
you know, I, I think he profiles really well to a guard, um, you know, at some point. I think, you know, the, a lot of these offensive linemen, they did a pretty good job of bringing in some interior, um, a good mix of interior guys, a couple tackles. Um, and, I, and I think that's probably, I would say that group is probably the strength of the class. I mean, I, I think there's some really, some, some guys that can play earlier in their careers. You've got a really, really high upside guy, Grant Bricks. Uh, in that class that was coveted by pretty much everybody that matters, a, you know, a top top two four seven player. Um, and then I think another another guy in that kind of offensive line group that because of when he committed, because of where he lives, uh, it just isn't getting talked about much is, is Preston Taumua, um, the the offensive lineman out of Hawaii. Um, you know, Nebraska beat up Oregon, Auburn, and Arizona for this kid. Um, he's I talked to him the other night. He's six foot four, three hundred and twenty pounds right now. Uh, could play tackle if they need him to, but he's probably a guard. And you know, I, I think that was a really big recruiting win for Nebraska. I don't think that he expected going into his visits that he was going to end up with Nebraska, but they beat out those programs for him. And you know, he's coming off of a knee injury. He played the second half of his season in Hawaii, won a state championship. But you know, he, he's a, a sharp kid. He'll be here in the summer. And another kid that, you know, with the offensive line group the way it is, you've got a lot of veterans like Ben Hart, Ben Scott, and those guys. And then, you know, you're, you're, they're going to have to pass that off to some of these young guys that came in last year and this year. And I think this line class that they have is going to be really important for kind of that next wave of starting offensive linemen in Nebraska. Brunty, speaking of linemen from Colorado, Jordan Seaton's name has kind of been hitting the the skies, right? Everybody's like, what's going on with Jordan Seaton? And uh, Nebraska is somebody that is in the Seaton mix right now. What is the latest on him? Yeah, I, I think there was a lot of a lot of uh, the last couple of days before National Signing Day. There'd been a lot of uh, momentum for him to Maryland. Um, you know, kind of away from Colorado. I know he visited Oregon. Um, you know, Dylan Rayola is, is, you know, trying to get in there and, and do some peer recruiting. And, and that's the benefit of having a five-star quarterback in your class. I mean, people, people notice that. That, that, gets your, uh, that gets your DMs and your texts read a little <laughs> bit more quickly, I think. So, uh, you know, they're going to take their shot at it. Uh, we'll see how it goes. But, um, yeah, I don't know. The, the, those those recruitments that kind of go on for you know a couple days after National Signing Day, things like that, I, it always gives me a little bit of pause. Um, certainly a talented prospect, but uh, you know, I, I, I always I kind of wonder whether you know how much Matt Rule and his staff kind of have a stomach for that kind of thing. So we'll see. I mean, he's a talented kid. Uh, Nebraska's going to take their shot, but uh, yeah. Anyways, I, I, we'll, we'll see. But uh, last I knew, Maryland was still kind of trending with him and kind of away from Colorado. Brunts, who's the local media version of the guy that gets your text message message read a little <laughs> bit faster? Uh, the, the text me that I take a look at. Yeah, that like yeah, like let's say you know like like if. No offense to Danny Kalen. If Danny Kalen texts you, like, yeah, you look at it. Maybe you respond if you think about it. <laughs> but if Dylan Rayola texts you, you're like, oh, okay. Who's the Who's the Dylan Rayola of like? You, you get the text from local media, and you're like, all right, let's do this. Um, that's a good question. I don't want to leave anybody out. I'm, Shane I'm, Schillerberg. I'm gonna... Listen, listen, yeah. Brunts. It's okay. Everybody's a four star here. Just, we just want to know <laughs> yeah. who the five star is. <laughs> yeah. Oh, come on, Shane. <laughs> 
I, I think if here, here's what you get. You, I look at a little bit faster. Okay. If, if you get the Keith Mann text out of the blue, mm. and, and that's not local media, but if you, you get the Keith Mann text out of the blue, you're like, okay, what's going on here? What, what do I need to know about? <laughs> How, where do I need to be at what time? That That's when I usually, uh, my, my ears perk up a little bit. So um, that that's what I'll go with. I'll go right down the middle, the Keith Mann text. It's not you about. You can't pick the or. <laughs> it can't, it can't, you can't pick the or. It can't be Ravi or Andrew and you choose or. Like, that's not allowed. <laughs> you, not a depth chart. Okay. Uh, yeah, I mean, listen, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you off the hook. You're being diplomatic. It, it, I'll say this. It used to be Andrew back when he was giving me some first inning picks. <laughs> hey, that that is always a thrilling message to receive. The first inning overs. Let's go, baby. <laughs> I get I get like some inside info that the starting pitcher for the Cardinals is like dealing with a family thing. He might be he might not be dialed in in the first inning. I, I'm, I'm I got I got you. I'll I'll catch you back up. I'll catch you back up to speed once baseball season rolls in. Nice. Hey, uh, quick one here before we let you go, Brent. So you got about a minute and a half. I'm going to ask you a, uh, a Christmas-themed question. I've been doing it with every guest today. Okay, you ready? Okay. Yep. Which Christmas movie, which Christmas movie character, I should say, do you think you'd get along with the most and why? Let's see here. I, I would say... I would say Clark Griswold. I knew I think, it. <laughs> I knew it. The older the older I've gotten, the more I can I've come to understand and appreciate his viewpoint on life. So I would say Clark Griswold. I knew he was gonna go that direction. I'm like, man, Brunty seems like a Clark Griswold guy. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think it's I've I've begun to appreciate that more. So I, I would say Clark Griswold probably. Although I've never, we've never done like the huge like hosting thing because I I, I, I I can't be part of that. Your, your bonus check <laughs> wasn't a, a year-long membership to the Jelly of the Month Club? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Brunts, we appreciate it. Uh, we'll be off next week, so we won't get a chance to talk to you. But happy holidays, and uh, we will talk to you in the new year. You too, guys. Take care. Have a good one. All right. See you, man. That's Michael Brunts from Husker 24-7. Appreciate Bruncey and his uh, willingness to let us be a little goofy there uh, as we wrap up his segment. Coming up next, we're going to get to Heard at Hot Seat as we wrap up the show the last half hour here on AM590 ESPN Omaha, ESPN Tri-Cities, and KFOR in Lincoln. You're listening to Hurt at Sports Radio. Welcome back into Hurt at Sports Radio here on a Thursday. AM 590 ESPN Omaha, ESPN Tri-Cities, KFOR in Lincoln. We're on Twitter, YouTube, and Facebook as well. But wherever you're listening, we're brought to you by our friends at Dingman's Collision Center. Dingman's has been family-owned and operated in Omaha for over 25 years. And they've been voted first place best of Omaha for over 18 years running. They've got four great Omaha area locations. 
They can work on whatever make and model you've got because they've got the latest technology. They stay up to date because they invest in it. They also invest in the community. They're not just running a business here. They live here. They work here as well, and they want their community to be as good as possible. That's why they have their give back program at Dingman's. Go check it out, dingmans.com, to learn more about their services and more about their uh, more about their give back program. That's Dingman's Collision Center. All right, it's time for the Hurt at Hot Seat. Andrew's got a bunch of good questions, he told me. <laughs> yeah, you can you can grade them later. <laughs> I will. I will uh, I will grade them but later. But I need some validation to start. But I'm going to allow you to go first because you seem pretty jazzed up about your questions. So, so my first question was sparked um, during our interview with Anna Bellinghausen yesterday. Okay. She had brought up, hey, have you guys seen any of the EA Sports opens with the player commitments? Yes. And yeah. I had said, I, I've seen them, but I haven't been able to, like, listen to any if they had Because they were rolling and, in while we were right, on, and on air. And she was like, hey, like. Go back and watch them. Mm-hmm. So I did. I went back and watched every single one. Mm-hmm. I retweeted every single one. <laughs> and I hope at like 4 o'clock after I was done mopping the floors and uh, vacuuming my house that everybody got all of them in bulk so they could watch them again. <laughs> Ravi, when you were watching um, each commitment video, yes, okay, which was your favorite play that followed Ooh. the commits player card. Oh, that's a good one. I'm going to have to go back and look to give myself a little reference. So why don't you go first? Because I'm so sure I you have, have an two. answer. I have two. Okay. The first one I thought was very clever. Yes. In regards to Dylan Rayola's commitment. Okay. It was recreating one of the greatest runs in college football history, Tommy Frazier's touchdown run. Against Florida? Against Florida. Yep. And the game was against Florida in Dylan Rayola's commitment video, and he was just lighting up dudes as he was running <laughs> to the end zone. I thought that was an incredible play by the uh, video department over um, at Nebraska. But the other one, I thought the Danny Kalen trick play was pretty fire. It okay. was um, – I don't remember who got the handoff, but it was a pitch back to Davon Hall, and Davon Hall threw it down the field to Danny Kalen for a touchdown. Okay. A nice little trick play. I thought that was a, a pretty good one, too. And then, oh, oh, goodness. See, I could just talk about these all day. <laughs> you know, you you probably, like, watched Grant Bricks's um, and, and some other offensive linemen that, that committed in their videos and thought, what can you, like, really do with an offensive lineman? I thought it was just awesome that it was just constant pounding on the offensive line. Yes. Like with Grant Bricks in his video. It was just smash, smash, <laughs> smash. <laughs> so, man, I tip my cap to those uh, over uh, at the Husker football video department because they, they outdid themselves. So my favorite one, and I couldn't remember who it was, so I had to, I had to find it. But it was, it's actually a walk-on because they did these not just for the scholarship guys. Mm-hmm. They did them for the walk-ons as well. It was, hold on, let me find it again. I lost it. I tried to find it. It is. It was uh, Isaac Dickey. Okay. So his was the 
uh, one of Corey Schlesinger's fullback traps up the sideline uh-huh. to, uh, I believe that was to tie the game against Miami back in the 95 Orange Bowl following the 94 season. It was the first of his two touchdowns, and then they showed the second of oh, Corey Schlesinger's two touchdowns as That's well. Great. You know in Nebraska we love a fullback, and uh, Isaac Dickey, got the, uh, honestly, the all-time fullback treatment with the Corey Schlesinger two-touchdown game against Miami. So um, that, like, I, part of the reason is, you know, much like the the Tommy Frazier run against Florida, like, I remember sitting in my living room, like, on my floor as a kid watching these plays. And so I'm sure for Isaac Dickey, kid from Stromsburg, Nebraska, like, that probably hit hard for him as well. But uh, those were my – those that was my favorite one mm-hmm. was uh, mm-hmm. was Isaac Dickey. So. All right, hit me with your question. Yeah, those those videos, by the way, were in outstanding. incredible. Um, all right, so I'm going to start with a Christmas one here. Oh, okay. All right, hit me. A lot of people ask, and you can, you can answer this part of it as well, what is the favorite Christmas gift you've ever gotten? Mm-hmm. My question is, what is your favorite Christmas gift you've ever gotten? give it some see that's a better question than gotten um because no one wants to be like yeah i got this really cool thing yeah like last year i got this like <laughs> rcx helicopter and no other kid in my class got that so that play all right which great, don't get man. me wrong i'm not gonna pretend to be one of those people hey, blow, that, blow up your head some more <laughs> listen i'm not gonna be one of those people to pretend like i don't like getting gifts i do i think it's awesome but there is something really cool when you are able to find a gift and give it to somebody and they like really, really love it. Like right. it's a super cool feeling, especially if it's kind of a surprise to them. Mm-hmm. Like, and you actually like nail it on the head. That's super satisfying. <sighs> I love giving Christmas gifts. Like I'll start by saying. Sure. That. Yeah. Um, so I'm like thinking back, but because it's hard for me to even like say like this was like an awesome gift. Like to me, I mm-hmm. thought it was an incredible gift because I thought it was well thought out. It was structured like the way I was going about it. And you're going to like, think of, <laughs> you're going to look at me and be like, dude, those were like 10 bucks. <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. all right. But I got my dad these boat erasers off of Amazon. Okay. So like our, our pontoon boat at the lake house yeah. gets like, I mean, it is so full of bugs, like dead sure. bugs. It's like they're yeah, stuck on the leather. It's it's how boat it happens yeah, with boats. Oh my goodness! Yeah. And it's so hard to clean. And I got him these boat erasers, and I'm like, this is like gonna be the best gift ever <laughs> because there it's gonna it's like it was like a magic eraser. Yeah. Like you just boat get it wet, yeah. you scrub the boat, and he said they worked incredibly well. And it was such a cheap gift. Yeah. Like it was like ten, fifteen bucks. But I, I. When I think about getting a gift for somebody, I'm like, I'm not just going to get you grill tools because sure. you cook chicken all the time yeah. or burgers or whatever. You have grill tools. Yeah. What can I get you that you don't have that is actually going to be a benefit to your life? Yeah, like make your life better. And I found these boat erasers, man, and I was over the moon when I was able to <laughs> give it to him. I'm not even kidding. Like that to me, I think was the best gift I've ever given. I, I might have to. I might have to have you send me those because uh, I gotta gotta do a little boat cleaning of my own. Nah, I can't. 
now just some advice here. Chances are, if that's their hobby, if grilling is their hobby, they're probably going to have a preference in what they use for tools. So for you to get somebody grill tools like that, I mean, you're 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 taking a big chance there that they'll even use them later yeah, on. Yeah, dude. Yeah, fourteen bucks. Send me that link. Um, <laughs> like he said, they worked incredibly well. But uh, no, Shane's right. So that, that actually kind of gets to my point with uh, my wife because she is very particular about the things she likes. Like I know her like preferences on like brands and stuff like that. If she wants to get like shoes or clothes or a purse or whatever it is, right? I know the types of things she likes, but it's a very like texture thing mm -hmm. that I can't identify. She has to be there and like touch it and like see how it feels and whatever and so it's really hard to buy her stuff sometimes and if you get like if you get grill tools for your dad he may save those like when you come over they're out there he's using them but yeah but i i just wanted to find something that was like off the beaten path. yeah which i mean it sounds like you nailed it uh my favorite thing that i and this this did benefit me too as well i'm not gonna <laughs> lie to you but ah, there you go so my wife has she when we met and she still has a shadow we still have shadow she has this dog. I have a shadow, too. A, he is a big, black, uh, bully breed mixed dog, right? And, like, he's like a Labrador and maybe like a Cane Corso or something. He's just a big, black. Careful how you finish that <laughs> dog. Um, he is a, a great dog and, like, super snuggly. All he wants to do is cuddle. And she's obsessed with this dog. I am, too, now. And so for as long as I've known her, because she got him when he was full grown. She's like, I, I would love to have gotten Shadow as a puppy. And she's like, if you ever find basically a clone of Shadow, make sure you get him. And so the rescue where I got Tally, who I talked about a couple weeks ago, mm -hmm. um, and Roggy, who, I, who we still have. Who is named after Ravi's favorite basketball player. Ethan Roggy, Lumberjack, baby. <laughs> he was at CHI last night. I was so excited. Um, Th this rescue had. I a, named my dog after you. I, I named my dog. I after told him you. that on the air once, and he didn't file a restraining order. I was pumped. But I found this dog at the rescue, and he is a he is a clone of Shadow. And so I was like, "Hey, babe, we have to go to Walt Hill, Nebraska, this morning." She's like, "What do you mean?" I showed her a picture of the dog, and she lost her that's mind. That's great. And I love Doug to death, so it's, it does benefit <laughs> yeah, me too. Right. But uh, that's definitely that's the happiest. I've ever seen anyone after getting him a gift. That's uh, awesome. We will continue Hurt at Hot Seat coming up next here on Hurt at Sports Radio. You're listening to Hurt at Sports Radio. Wrapping up the show here on a Thursday on Hurt at Sports Radio. I'm Ravi Lula. Andrew Rogers here with me. We're live at the Hurt at Sports Bar and Grill on h, h Chevrolet Stage, live on AM590 ESPN Omaha, ESPN Tri-Cities, and KFOR in Lincoln. We are playing a little bit of Hurt at Hot Seat for segment number two here. Uh, I believe I went last with you what's did. your favorite Christmas gift you've ever given someone, so you are up, my friend. All right, Ravi, back on the sports train. Let's do it. Which sports mascot do you think would make the best wingman? Oh, okay. That's a good one. Um, this is how my brain works at home. Yeah, no, that's I like that. Man, that's a good one. Um, all right, so I'm trying to decide if I want – I feel like you want to go goofy because I, I think with a wingman, you want him to be a little funny. You mm -hmm. want a little icebreaker there. 
uh, but you don't want them to steal too much of your thunder, right? Um, so my instant thought here was I, I think I want to go Benny the Bull. See, that's a good one. That's a really good I one. I think he'd be fun. He seems like a good time. Seems like he can be a little funny, but I don't think he's Mr. Steal Your Girl. I think you're okay. Uh, other mascots I thought about, well, the first one was Philly the Fanatic. That's what I, the, I, I and, thought of Philly and, Fanatic too. And I'll tell you this. Yes, he would be Mr. Steal Your Girl in a, little, in, in a lot of ways, but I think with the interactions we've been able to see with Major League Baseball players and mm -hmm. Philly the Fanatic, sometimes Major League Baseball players come out on top, and then Philly it's Fanatic true. walks away embarrassed. It's true. He may be able to draw a lot of attention, which is what you want out of a wingman. That's true. But can he seal the deal? Philly the Fanatic is one. Gritty's another one. Gritty is the uh, Philadelphia yeah, the Flyers, Flyers mascot. Yep. Ooh, Gritty's a good one. Um, you said Benny the Bull. I thought about, like, the gorilla, the Suns gorilla. Yeah, I feel like he's, he's a little bit too much like, look at me. Like, he's a little too – I think he wants to be the guy, not the wingman. Fair enough. So I, I worry about the gorilla a little bit. The Colts bit. mascot, Blue. Oh, Blue would be a great one. He's man. a good one. Fred Bird is the Cardinals one, which I'm – familiar with most he's very friendly so yeah. I, I could see that one too i'd probably lean philly the fanatic though just because he's the most popular sure. he'll draw the most attention i just wonder if he wants to be too much the center of attention that might backfire but on see you that could bit. be good too though because if he wants all the attention he may lose the attention of the one that you want to end That's up true. with. It's so true. then you sit down next to say your now wife <laughs> and be like can you believe this guy and then like start a good conversation i uh would you fair. go with the chicken no, San Diego chicken. I don't think San Diego no. chicken's the way to go. I don't think. So. I mean, he's funny. He's I too mean, famous. He's too famous. You know what? Speaking of famous, hmm. the Kansas City Wolf. Okay. Um, yeah. So the Chiefs the mascot. Chiefs. Yeah. Did you ever hear the story about how he almost died? No. So they were like trying out a stunt at the stadium. Yeah. And he fell like 45 meters onto some seats, oh, broke both of the seats, broke a ton of like bones in his body, survived. He's still the mascot. What on It's an earth? insane story. I highly recommend people go back and look up the Kansas City Wolf I do uh, stunt story. also have to shout out, he's a little less famous, uh, but Wally, the uh, Boston Red Sox mascot, similar vibe to the Fanatic, but I don't think he's got quite the ego, so that might help you out there. He kind of just seems like your big funny friend. And uh, I think that that works well as a wingman. So <laughs> I don't know if 45 meters equals uh, 75 feet, but that's, uh, that's nope, how far I think that's closer to about 20 meters. Okay. So, yeah, he fell 20, 20, 75 feet. Yeah, I think that's crazy. Meters. No, that's a long way. That's too far. I don't want to do that. Um, <laughs> let's move on to my next question. Okay, also a sports one for you. Mm. Man, then I can wrap this thing up with Christmas. Re oh, baby. Recruiting question here for you. Okay. Ready? Ready? Would you trade uh -oh. Dylan Rayola? <laughs> no. <laughs> Hear me He's out. mine. <laughs> Hear me out. For a good four-star quarterback prospect, so let's call it like an Air Noland. Okay. Go into Ohio State, obviously a real high-level guy, four-star recruit, okay? But he's not the best recruit in the class. Mm -hmm. If it meant you got a five-star receiver as well. No. Because Dylan Rayola is – the quarterback position is so important mm -hmm. on the football field and can decide so many different outcomes of a game that I want the best player at that position, okay. and then I can work with what I have on the outside. 
So I can work with the three and four stars on the world okay. on the outside. I don't need that five star thriller because I know Dylan Rayola can make up for more mistakes than he'll actually act on. What? Um, how much would I have to add in there before you would take the trade? Five star running back as well. We talk about a five star offensive tackle. See the running back, like the five star running back, could be lethal. Um, but again, you have to rely on your offensive line to. So we're talking be able about like a. Up. We're talking about like a five star tackle, maybe. Let's say I switch out the receiver. You don't get the receiver, but you get the four star quarterback. Mm-hmm. Very good quarterback, by the way. Ohio State's taking him. Mm-hmm. And let's say a five star, uh, like Brennan Baker. Let's say you get a five star tackle wow. as well. Are we are we taking that trade? I need I, I need you to juice it up for me. You need okay. All right, let's go. Four star, four star okay. quarterback. I'm gonna give you the five star O lineman. The five star O lineman, and I'm gonna toss in a four star receiver. I'll take it. <laughs> Shane's all Shane's over that. Um, I feel like I'm on the NBA trade machine right now. Just trying to I work know. this out. And you see, like, the bar come across. Yes. And trade it's like failed. Three, yeah, three-fourths <laughs> of the way. And it's like, how do I have to offer more? I just gave you two first-round picks. Um, I spent too much time on NBA trade machine. Four-star, five-star, four-star. I think mm. you're going to pull the trigger. I think I could see it. I can see the. I can see it. There's too much. So... If I had the option, instead of the receiver to do the running back, I'd probably would take a four-star See, that's why back. I went wide receiver instead, because I thought the running back made it too easy. <laughs> I thought it made it too easy. <laughs> I hate your gut. Um, so to the initial question, no, you're taking Rayola. To the initial question, no, I would take uh, the bulk of that trade, though. So you I, would need, take that, I would take the five-star tackle, I'd take the four-star quarterback, and I would take So you the, need two four-stars. And a five star and a tackle. five star to make up for Dylan yes. Riolo. All right, that's the trade value. Mm-hmm. That's where we. That's where we. I, and I think that's very <laughs> fair. I, no, I don't disagree. I mean, I don't. I really don't. Um, all right, you're up. All right, question number three, because we've already had two this segment. That's how it works. That's <laughs> how counting works. <laughs> all right, if you, oh, which one? Which one? Ooh, two Christmas questions. I'll start with this one. All right. If you could replace Rudolph with any animal to lead Santa's sleigh, <laughs> what would it be and why? My initial thought just on pure comedy was a rhinoceros. Yeah. All right. <laughs> I just want to see him, like, charging. With you the, can, like, see, like, his yeah. head. And he's got the, like, very – he's still got a prominent nose. It's a little <laughs> different than the red-nosed reindeer. But the, uh, the horn's very prominent there for uh, – for my guy, the rhino. I yeah, I don't know why. I just I think yeah. I'm I think I'm imagining like the scene in Elf where he's like trying to get off the ground in New York and yeah. just imagine just imagining a rhino in New York like, in going front. Yeah. I don't know why. It's just really funny to me. I love the first thought. <laughs> See, I would want to make it a uh, a very uh, inconvenient animal, like a uh, chihuahua, like. like <laughs> Like either a chihuahua or a giraffe. Like, a, like no, no in between. He's like, he's got the hardest way up on his neck. He's like, come on, guys. It's like when you're trying to move furniture with somebody that's like a foot taller than you, and you're like carrying a couch, and so you're trying to like up here, and that's like at and your you're, level. Yeah, and you're like going up like a, sta- like a case of stairs, and you're like, I'm on the wrong end for this. 
Dude, like I think a giraffe would be his. A giraffe would be really funny. <laughs> I just, I just imagine like the old like Taco Bell Chihuahua. <laughs> Feliz Navidad. It's like we're, who, who's leading that sleigh? You see these giant reindeer, and it's like who's in front up there? It's true. It's the Taco Bell dog. Uh, all right, we got two minutes left. You seemed really excited about. Yeah, let me ask you another Christmas so, yeah, question. Go ahead. Okay, Shane, chime in here too if you'd like. If you could spend Christmas anywhere in the world, ooh, okay, where would it be? So for me, and I don't actually remember where it is. I think it's in Washington State. They have these like Christmas villages. Yeah, they do. Oh, man, that you are, are such a Hallmark movie. Did you get stranded? You're from the big city. I'm from the big city. I, you know, <laughs> I meet somebody on the side of the road. My, my rental car broke down. I was, you're, I, you're, you're actually a wood carver I was in, on in my, a past life. I was on my way to, to finish a big deal. No, but they have these. I mean, they literally have them set up that are, they're like Christmas towns. And they, they look like these scenes out of a snow globe, basically. And, and those are cool, like the, the central scene of what a snow globe yes, is. Yeah. yeah, and that's like the entire economy of the town is being a Christmas town. Gosh, that's so cool. And I can't think of the name of one off the top of my head, but I think they have a couple like in, I think there's one in Michigan. I know there's a, uh, a one in Washington State as well, but just going to these places that give you like the whole like magic of Christmas, like you feel like you're in a movie field. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd probably choose one of those because – a, I think it would be cool, and B, it would make my wife so happy because she's such, like, a Christmas nerd. She loves right. it. And this is assuming your family's with yeah, you. Yeah, so, yeah. like, you're not saying, like, like I would just myself. go home and spend it with family. Yeah. Um, no, like, you're no, going you, somewhere. Everybody gets to go. Yeah. All expenses paid. Like, it's, it's, like, it's like wondering uh, what uh, <laughs> uh, Macaulay Culkin's dad did in Home Alone. <laughs> yeah. like, what, what, <laughs> what job did you have so that nine people could go to Paris? I don't know. But you're, quick, we got about 20 seconds. What's your answer? Oh, man, Shane, go ahead. Chime in. I'll take Hawaii because that's the easy route. It's warm. There's no snow. I'm there. See, uh, the Christmas Village is such a cool answer, and, like, I wish I could bump off of that. But I think I'd go tropical, too. Yeah. Like, it's, it, you, you could find uh, me and the family in... Um, Turks and Caicos. Gosh, yeah. Like, <laughs> like send, send me to Thailand. Like, something like that. Like, Andrew Rogers tropical. here for a tropical Christmas. Uh, tomorrow, we will wrap up the week, uh, a big week for Nebraska, here on Herd Sports Radio.